0: If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie the Radio Chickie Bellis and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on internet radio. And
1: you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember,
0: Southern Sense is Common Sense.
2: Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well... If you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense. put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. Welcome to another exciting adventure on Southern Sense. You're here listening you on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media. On iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, oh, good Lord, iHeartRadio, half a dozen other places I forget. I'm your hostess with the least most is the radio ticket Annie. And joining me later on in the interviews will be my co host, Curtis Courageous C.S. Bennett. Um, we want to today wish you a very happy, healthy, and blessed Thanksgiving holiday and weekend. Um, we have a, a special edition today. We are doing the best of previous shows Thanksgiving holiday weekend. So we figured if you had missed us in the past, you might enjoy us rebroadcasting some of our favorite, favorite interviews. Uh, Some of the people that are going to be with us today is going to be Cecily Davis. Uh, She is running against one of the squad, Congresswoman, (laughs) that was a slip of the lip, Ilian Omar out of Minnesota District 5. We also have with us uh, Jonathan Dunn. He's a Scotsman uh, traveling around the United States talking about American exceptionalism. He has a uh, podcast himself. Um, It's over on The Blaze. Uh, You can check him out. Freedom Defender, I believe the title of it is. So Jonathan Dunn uh, is going to be with us. Uh, We also have former Florida Congressman Ted Yoho. Um, Kat Kamak now has his seat. She was his chief of staff. As a matter of fact, Kat Kamak would be coming on after the beginning of the year. Uh, There's a couple of different things she had to do. She would have been with us today, but unfortunately she could not make it. So Ted Yoho is with us. We also have former Trump White House advisor Peter Navarro. Oh, he's a pistol. Love him. He has a new book out in Trump Time. Uh, And it is an absolute fascinating book. So tune in for that one and hold on to that turkey drumstick. And then we're going to have our Heritage Foundation, and I love this man. I love him to death, Hans von Spakovsky. He also has a new book out called Our Broken Elections. Go figure, our elections are broken. Uh No, no, our elections have integrity, don't they? Well, that's what the left has been telling us. But Hans and the Heritage Foundation have been exposing illeg- irregularities in our election system. So we've got ourselves an exciting special Thanksgiving show for you today. So it's your family members. Get a couple of those liberals to listen in. They never know. They may just enjoy it. All right. Let's get moving with what we've got so much to do, so much, and great guests for you to listen to. Um We usually start our broadcast with a dedication to fallen heroes. And today's is gonna be just a little bit different. Um, Today's dedication is going out to those that we stand upon their shoulders, for those who came before us. Brave men and women who faced a fearful unknown to escape tyranny for freedom. The journey across the Atlantic Ocean was not a luxury cruise on the Mayflower. There were no stewards to fetch clean towels, no endless all-you-could-eat buffets, no swimming pool, and yes, no cocktail lounge. There were storm-tossed rough seas, starvation, scurvy, and death. It was 10 hard weeks to cross the ocean with 102 passengers and 30 crew. Of the 102, only 41 were pilgrims. There were religious rebels known as saints. The rest were merchants, craftsmen, indentured servants, and even orphaned children. When they landed not in the colony of Virginia, but far off course in Massachusetts, they faced a strange wilderness with no shelter and no one to greet them. That first winter was so harsh only about half survived. Those who did had the help of the local tribe, the Wampanoag, who taught them food gathering and crop planting. After the first fall harvest, 53 survivors celebrated with 90 Native Americans in what was to become the first Thanksgiving. These pilgrims laid the foundation of self-government, rule of law, Equality among all men and industry. They created the Mayflower Compact, which was the first full self-governance ever. This was the building block to our establishment as a constitutional republic. Our founding fathers, who came from New England, brought this document in their hearts with them to create our Declaration of Independence and our constitution. Their struggle for freedom and liberty gave birth to generations of Americans to come and unite these states, to tame this continent, to abolish slavery, to battle tyranny on foreign lands, through Europe, Asia, and throughout the rest of the world. They strove for peace, and they strove to reach the stars. Upon their shoulders rests the creation of this most exceptional nation of the people, by the people, and for the people. One nation under God. So we dedicate this show to all who came before us, who fought and died, who were crippled, who gave their very last for these ideals and for those who today continue to do so. We dedicate this show to all those who helped to uh, found this nation and 400 years ago celebrated the first Thanksgiving. We dedicate it also to all of the brave men and women who have served from the birth of this nation and true today and who will serve in our future. We also dedicate this show to all of the brave men and women that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herrington, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
4: I stand proud and free, my name is America, don't tread on me, I cannot be broken, I cannot be shamed, if you hurt me I'll get stronger, and I'll rise across.
3: They believe in the virtues I stand for, I respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants who envy my
4: power, but their vicious deeds become my is now. I stand for Those diye- who
2: for Minnesota District 5 against squad member Ilian Omar, Cicely Davis. It is. Thank you so much for having me. It is our pleasure, our pleasure. And I'm glad to see someone that has the hutzpah to run against a member of the squad. <laughs> How dare you? What makes you think that
5: you can defeat the great Ilian Omar? Well, you know what? The truth is, it's just about time. Um, I think that last Tuesday election, um, particularly in Virginia and New Jersey and across, um, I think that um, there's a real message in that um, moderates are realizing that um, the policies that are coming out of the left are just simply not working. Ilhan Omar is someone who incites, she divides, she spreads hate. The leadership here Um, is subpar and the people of this district, my district in particular, they deserve a champion, someone who actually will bring about policies and someone who actually cares about all the people of this district. And so I'm stepping up to hold her to account.
2: Now, um, you have an interesting background and we hear that, you know, kids that grew up in single family parent households don't have a good chance of success. And yet, my state senator, Tim Scott, is a good example. Um, we, we see examples over and over again. And you also come from that sort of a background, but your mom made sure, and your grandmom, I believe, also made sure that you excelled, that you be, that you believed in yourself, that you're not a victim, are you?
5: No, not at all. And I was never taught victimhood. In fact, I was um, spoken against it. Um, you know the thing is, is that we all have to live for something greater than ourselves. Um, and when you when you adopt that kind of ideolog- ideology, um, and you wake up every day and you realize that um, we're relational, um, and so it's about others. It's not just about me. This world is, doesn't just consist of Cicely Davis. There are others, and so we because we are relational. Um, we have to figure out ways that we can have real impact in the lives of other people to make this world a better place. And so I know that sounds dreamy and idyllic, and, um, but it's, it's very true. And so service, um, more than anything, um, really puts us in a position where we can have positive impact in the lives of others. And for those who are not interested in that, we have to work really hard to make sure that we do away with that, that type of individual.
2: You know, I I I got so I got so upset at the TV yesterday. (laughs) I'm surprised I didn't throw my computer at it. But I'm listening to uh, national leaders, uh, members of uh, uh, the commander of the armed forces. My mind is really because I'm that angry, apologizing for being a male white and i i look at my mom and god bless her she's a little uh, a little old 89 year old italian roman catholic grandma my mom and he said mom does god make mistakes and she's looking at me like i've got 15 different eyes and i says no he doesn't does he he chooses <laughs> each and every one of us to be who we are be born in this time and place to whom we're born so we didn't ask so how can you consider how i am born how you are born should be considered right, you're, you're, you know, you see where I'm going with this. It's, it's really, I do, I the do, and, and
5: character does not matter anymore. Yeah, and so what we're seeing is an erosion of morality. Um, you know what, and it's funny that you talked about that, but white patriarchy is absolutely under attack in this country, and the bottom line is. The, our forefathers did a fantastic job of, of, of forming an ex- exceptional exceptional country. America is an exceptional nation um, founded on absolutely exceptional principles by an exceptional God. That's just the simple fact of it. Um, and you know what? It was about character and it still is. I truly believe still in the morality of the American people. That's what I'm fighting for. And so what I'm up against is evil. I truly believe that if this is a spiritual issue, we're in a spiritual battle. Um, the principles, the policies, and the directives um, coming out of the leadership, our top leadership in our country is absolutely evil. And so I think that that's what people at the end of the day, that's what they truly wrestle with. And someone needs to be bold enough to stand against it.
2: Man, you've got a fantastic website and it's, it's your name, cecilydavis.com, that people can go in there and, and see where you stand on all issues. Now, I have to laugh, Um, wasn't it uh, Minneapolis
5: that voted on defunding the police? So we are ground zero um, for the defund the police movement because of last summer um, and the unfortunate death of um, George Floyd. Um, There was an amendment that came up because they were um, some outside um, interest groups were trying to do away with the charter that requires the city council, the Minneapolis city council to maintain um, the police department and its staffing. Um, And so um, when that came down to um, last, uh, two Tuesdays ago for elections, um, the people of this district, they decided, you know what? We want more police, not less. Um, So they voted against that and they said, you know what? We need police presence. We want to feel safe. We want to be able to go to the park and walk our dogs and stand at the bus stop with our children. And so I think that more so than just voting down that amendment. They were actually also voting against Ilhan Omar, who was this proponent's um, greatest cheerleader. And so again, I'm telling you that there is momentum, people are waking up, their common sense is kicking in and it's having real place again. And so that's making me believe in um, morality. It has me to believe that this district can and will be taken. Um, I will win, I will represent the people of this district. Those table, um, those kitchen table issues, um, you know, gas, um, that's the gas for the gas tank, you know, how much money you're bringing in for your paycheck, being able to afford groceries. Those are the things that people really care about And they're realizing under this leadership that um, those things are going by the wayside. And so um, people are deciding to come together, both red and blue, to decide, you know what, we decide what the narrative is for Minneapolis. Um, And we want more police, not less. We deserve to feel safe.
2: Well, you know, this past election- Can you? uh, I'm sorry, Chris. This past election, it it was an off-year election, one that no one ever really pays attention to. However, We saw a record number of voter turnouts in places like Minneapolis. In in my county, we normally would see in a year like this, maybe eight or 9%, but we had 14%. In some areas Mm -hmm. within the county, up as high as 36% turning out to vote. I think that the sleeping giant has been awakened and you are part of that sleeping giant that is just out there stomping butt. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah. (laughs)
6: Yeah, I I was just going to say that um, everywhere I go to speak, people are upset at what's going on in this country. They are tired of um, all the blame America first rhetoric. They're tired of our educational system. And they just can't wait till 2022 comes around to take the, the gloves off and go at it, you know. That's what I want to add.
5: Absolutely. Yeah. The reality is that the, for many of the progressives in their leadership, po- the police reform was serving as a Trojan horse for the radical transformation of America. So what the people of Minneapolis did um, was that they said, you know what, if you put it on the ticket, if it looks like socialism, it's disapproved. If it's Marxism, it will be denied. If it's critical race theory, it's deserted. Race card declined, and Ilhan Omar, as a congressional representative of CD five, I say she's disqualified.
6: <laughs> Definitely.
2: Well, you know she you, must go. Your your website is is really great. Like again, tell people to go to it, uh, Davis dot com. It's there's a link on the show page. So if you're looking at the description, just click on her name, and you can go and you can even make a donation to her, even if it's five dollars to give her her campaign a boost. See, I, I, I try to help. Yeah. But um, you, you talk about education <laughs> and critical race theory has been creeping into our school system. And they no longer call it critical race theory, they, they, they'll call it equity or they'll call it diversity. They're using all these other terms to try to slip it in. And, you know, how are we going to stop that? Because one way or another, they're going to try to do social engineering. And we're seeing blatant videos up on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, you name it, with these radical social engineering teachers uh, showing and bragging about how they're brainwashing our kids.
5: Yeah, so what we're going to have to do with what we're seeing across America, and that's people standing up, it's about getting educated. Um, so you dropped some terms. We have to learn how they're um, bringing this in. Um, We have to educate and then we have to expose and then we get together. We stand shoulder to shoulder, we raise our voices and we tell them no. And you know what? We want education to be decided by the parents. We want to approve that curriculum. And if we don't get what we want, because we are the taxpayers, parents are the taxpayers, then we'll yank our kids out of school and we'll find a better education. Um, system. And so this is what we need to do. We have to absolutely guard the education and what's being taught to our children. Parents have an absolute right to have um, eyes into the curriculum, what's being taught and the ideology that children are graduating with. Right now what they're trying to do is raise little socialists who will then graduate and hate America and hate America as a society and eradicate it and tear down our statues and and come and compete and I'm sorry um uh, per- participate in cancel culture we don't want that we want um children who will dream dreams and participate in our workforce and become you know vital citizens um, of America and contribute to this great exceptional country and so we just continue to do what we're doing. Expose, raise our voices. And um, you know what? Know where your power is and use it. Absolutely. But and it's
6: not I just, agree.
2: It's not just the, the
6: parents. is nothing more.
2: Well, it's, it's not, criticism it's not just- It's nothing more than
6: a critical
2: Well, I was just going to say, it's (laughs) it's not just the parents that should be active in knowing what's going on in the school. It's every single taxpayer, every voting taxpayer out there should be paying attention because that's your money. And if these kids fail, if they don't, if they're not able to read, if they're not able to do basic math, if they are not employable, if they become a burden upon our society, it's a burden that you've accepted by not participating so it's not just the parents it's every taxpaying voter that should be involved in knowing what's going on at the school board should be at the school board meetings now i haven't been blessed with kids but i show up i will listen into the school board meetings and i will make my voice known every chance i get but if we as the taxpayer keep on giving our money to a school district that is run amok then we're responsible for the outcome are we not cicely
5: Absolutely. And so what you're talking about is right spot on. It's every single taxpayer. And so what we're really essentially doing with these failing schools, particularly public schools, is that we're funding a failing monopoly. Think about that. We are literally funding a failing monopoly. That has got to stop. And so you're right. It needs to be a collective thought that it's every single taxpayer and so we are if we don't speak up then we bear the brunt of the outcome and you know what I believe um I want I want kids to be able to go to school and graduate and dream dreams and participate and be responsible contributing adults and I want them to know about who we are and um to love their neighbor and um to participate in the workforce and contribute to our economy these are the things that makes us special and um, you know what? They will find value in that. So yeah, you're right. This needs to be a collective thought, not just parents, but literally every single taxpayer.
2: Yeah. And now if we don't churn out good kids, what's the point of bringing jobs to a community that has an unemployable workforce? So right now we getting a an administration that wants to pay you to stay home and then import illegal aliens in to do the job that you're just too lazy to get off your your couch from in front of your TV or boob tube, your your smart device to go back to work. Because, oh, don't worry about it, the government's paying you. But that's not what you're for. You wanna see people to get those jobs, to get lower taxes. How are you going to propose doing that?
5: So, um, particularly here in CD5, we have a very high ta- um, tax structure. And so, one of my plans is to incentivize corporations. Um, right now, the demand, um, as you mentioned, which is so relative, the demand for um, work is for labor is extremely high. And so, the four year college degree isn't for everyone. So, we can actually, when you talk about education, we can tie that in and loop that in as well. We can get children in and out of school into learning a trade and get them in the workforce a lot quicker, think about the demand that the trucking business has and construction and electricians. There are so many opportunities for labor. So if we can incentivize businesses to give internships, lower their property taxes so that they can take on um, younger workers, we can get our economy back. It's one of the policies that I am pro- going to propose. And so again, We know that getting people into the workforce pays into our economy. We're more happy. We're more robust. Our value of our dollar goes up um, and everyone else um, then benefits. So this is a part of um, one of my platforms of of getting the economy back here in CD5 to um, become robust again.
2: Well, recently they passed that infrastructure bill, which Biden says he's going to sign on the 15th. And they've got that other one, big Build Back Better. Well, that looks like that may not even come through, hopefully, and I'm praying it doesn't. But <laughs> you get elected to Congress and they shove another one of these huge infrastructure bills in front of you. Um, shouldn't you be saying, wait a minute, we sh- shouldn't we break this down and pass each section separately as an individual bill instead of one of these huge omnibus bills?
5: Oh, you are so hitting on all cylinders today. So, yeah, you know, when you talk about that, if you really are, you're just you've done your homework. This is fantastic. But um, obviously we agree. But, you know, my opponent, she loves to hold hostages. So she led the squad in voting against the infrastructure bill because the even more expensive Bankrupt America Act, which is what I like to call it, um, didn't pass first. Um, So she won't back something that had broad um you know agreement and in contingency of bankrupting America with the larger infrastructure bill um so wherever people are coming together the squad is adamantly against and so that tells you that there is an absolute agenda um there is a um agenda to eradicate all things America and they are absolutely doing it with our with our economy um, we need to watch out for that um, this is why i'm thinking why i'm stepping up to shut her down she didn't do that because she's being physically responsible. She wants to bankrupt America. And we need to all be aware of the agenda of what's going on and speak up against it and get to the ballot box and vote her out. Oh, yes.
2: I would love to see the entire squad get voted out, But AOC has such a, a foothold in New York, mm-hmm. which is you were, were originally mm-hmm. from New York. Uh, ups, we called it upstate or cupcake country. Uh, <laughs> because uh, I was <laughs> <laughs> oh man I actually I'm from Long Island oh. and I don't know if uh, Moish told you that I retired NYPD that's why we called Rochester or Long Island either West Cupcake or East Cupcake <laughs> but you, you had an eye opening experience because Rochester really is a city it's, it's quite urban but then moving out to Minnesota mm-hmm. you, you felt like you were in the land of the hicks
5: Absolutely. So you're right. And so one thing about Rochester was that my neighbors were mixed. I had Hungarian and Korean and um, Hispanic, Puerto Rican and black and white, and so were my teachers, right? So my classrooms were mixed, my neighborhoods were mixed, and I moved to Minnesota and it was just all white. And so that in itself is fine. It's just that when you grow up with such diversity, um, that's such a great change. And so Um, eventually of course that has changed now. Um, but I, um, and and it was during my formative year. So, you know, I didn't want to leave my friends and things like that, but, um, you know, moving to Minnesota, what I was able to do was just realize that, um, you know, this is a land of dreams, right? It was clean and serene and people didn't lock their doors. And I didn't have to worry about leaving my bike on the front stoop and it not being there when I got back out and things like that. So it opened up my world and made me think about possibilities, what's actually possible. Um, and so that had an impact on me um, in the way that I thought, um, the way that I think, the way that I operate and, um, you know, having impact on my personality
2: i mean what i find valuable well you know you you went from an area where you had to be defensive and protective to an area where you were welcomed openly as an equal and that contrast the contrast Mm -hmm. between the urban thought the democrat progressive communist socialist whatever you want to call it thought compared to that of a conservative of which you you
5: you are correct. And so the thought process, the, the mode of operation, I can tell you this, that when I became conservative, I became happy. I found <laughs> reasons to celebrate life and to love my friends and see value in them. And, you know, I remember being so angry and distraught and grumpy um, as, um, a liberal, um, for some reason. And even though that, being a liberal means the road is wide and windy. And it seems, it seems, only seems that on the conservative side, it's more narrow and straight. I actually just am a happier person because I'm able to see things through a different lens that that a moral compass actually is freedom. Um, and seeing value, um, being integrous um, and you know treating people with respect and, and loving all people um, that's the operation of being conservative and I absolutely love it. And, um, there's no way, there's no way I'm going back. I hope to go back and <laughs> grab as many other liberal friends and family members as I can to just welcome them to this happier side of life.
2: <laughs> well, you know, statistically, they did a survey a number of years ago and they said, statistically, people that are leaning more conservative and more religious are happier people, they lead healthier and longer lives mm-hmm. than those that are liberal and angry. Uh, and there is an anger, it's, it's if right. that they feed on that anger. They're not happy unless they're angry yeah. about something. And it releases a chemical in the brain and it becomes addictive. so when we say that it is a mental, <laughs> dysfunction to be a liberal there may be some truth <laughs> to it just saying just mm-hmm. saying now give me all the angry phone calls yeah. you want now folks now a big thing is housing the pricing of housing has shot through the roof and part of it is because of the pandemic in red states the housing prices have gone through the roof uh trying to buy affordable forget about trying to buy anything in california Uh, that that unless you have several million to put down as a deposit, you don't even think about it. But this has become a real thing. Uh, The huge cost of housing, not only now because of the cost of construction, because of the pandemic and because of all the ships stuck out in New York and California harbors. um, But how do we bring down, because the American dream is that house with the picket fence that's the american dream for everyone to own their little piece of the world but for some reason they seem to keep on trying to shovel us back into these urban centers into subsidized housing housing apartments you know government-run things how do we bring the american dream back to the average american
5: yeah well first of all we have to get the city safe so people will want to move into them um, because we're seeing a mass exodus of urban areas um, for people who are saying hey um, you know what the crime is too it's way too much. Um, two we got to get people back to work um, so that they can't afford housing. Number three we need to just dis- we need to do away or disavow this um, agenda like you're talking about with this um, all this uh, you know massive housing where Um, really it's all just about at the end of the day, it's about dependency on government. Um, So we want, they want to build all this um, urban housing or interrupt residential areas um, and um, move people in at rates that um, are not sustainable. Um, We want people to be able to own their own home, you know, and the way to do that is we need to stimulate the economy, get people back to work. Um, we need we need programs. We need some kind of programs. Um, and I'm starting to sound liberal, but that's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is that we need to incentivize. <laughs> there are policies where we can actually, um, you know, incentivize builders um, to build, but we need to make it to where they'll want to actually build. And right now with, you know, the crime in the inner cities going on, Um, You know what, builders are not um, feeling incentivized to build in in, especially in urban areas. So we need to figure out ways that we can help builders want to build to where people can afford housing. Now I'm in Minneapolis. So when you say housing in Minneapolis, you're talking about condominiums, but that's okay. As long as they are able to um, own, we want to incentivize builders to do that so that homeowners want to be in these areas, um, and we can actually stimulate that economy by getting people back to work.
2: Well, you know, you hit on several different things. And um, there is a, a thing that happens in urban areas called gentrification. But gentrification cannot happen. Yes. The rebuilding of a neighborhood cannot happen unless, number one, you get crime under control. And number two, you set it up where opening businesses, especially small businesses, is incentivized. It, is, it becomes more friendly. You reduce the regulations, you reduce the taxes on the business owners that allow them to open up that little mom and pop coffee shop or bakery or whatever it is to hire locals. And, and when you start raising the, the level the level of living, you make it more enjoyable and more crime-free Mm -hmm. Gentrification can come, and then come the builders who are going to take that run-down uh, townhouse or brickstone or whatever and renovate it to make it something that is pleasant to live in, those apartment buildings. But first and foremost must be the reduction of crime.
5: Am I looking at this correct or am I looking at this wrong? No, you're absolutely correct. Again, no one wants to live in a crime-ridden city. I mean, you cannot plan for a stray bullet, okay? There's no way to plan for that. If you don't feel safe literally going out to the bus stop, if you don't feel safe standing at waiting for the rail, if you don't feel safe, um, you know, walking to the park, there's no incentive for residents to remain or businesses to build, okay? And you talked about small businesses, the number one business, um, businesses that took a hit here in Minneapolis after the summer of 2020 were um, small owned businesses. Um, many of them, actually the majority of them owned um, by people of color, okay? So you are, you are absolutely spot on. We need to be able to um, incentivize small business owners to come back, um, deregulate so that they feel the need to reopen, rebuild, hire employees, and then those larger corporations those larger builders will come back um and they will um employ more people and so now we have that robust economy kicking back in again um i know that it can happen i know it will we just need someone who's willing to step up and lead and we don't have that right now
2: when i watched all the riots going on um with the black lives matter and antifa i got so angry because they don't understand that when they decimate those businesses if they go they chase the people out it takes decades to rebuild those neighborhoods it's not something that can happen overnight you know I I walked the street and I was looking at buildings that were burnt out in the 60s and this was in the 80s two decades later and only then did gentrification start to come in when we reclaim the streets they don't understand how badly those neighborhoods get decimated with that one night of rioting. And it takes, it takes the entire life out of a neighborhood. And it's not something that mainstream media is even talking about. They'll go on to whatever the next right. lead story is and they ignore the people that are left behind to deal with that devastation. But we need people like you to point it out and say, now nope, it's gotta stop. One of the things you talk about is national security and securing the borders. They basically go hand in hand. And every single state is a border state, whether or not people realize it or not. Because we not only have a flood of illegal immigrants coming across the southern border, we have a flood of immigrants coming over on these visas, whether they're H-1B ones or student visas or tourist visas, and just disappearing and never showing back up again. So we got
5: a two-pronged attack on our hands, don't we? Yes, we do, and so every society every successful, happy society, um, you know, they control their borders. They're they're very concerned um, and they're diligent and they're watchful of who's coming in um, and what they bring to the table. Um, so that doesn't make United States is no exception. Um, you know, we have other We have foreign countries who do the exact same thing on all continents. And so I don't understand where the big hoopla is all of a sudden. I understand that United States is a melting pot. You're certainly welcome to become um, a citizen here in the United States. We're simply saying, we want you to do it the legal way. And right now with our borders being out of control, our vice president, um, who's supposed to be ahead of this whole initiative um, being (laughs) MIA, um, we have people floating crime you know, their are and we have criminals coming in. We have, we have people who are, um, uh, COVID positive affecting other residences. And so this is a crisis. This isn't just out of control. It's literally a crisis. And we are bearing the brunt, um, of this lack of leadership that's from the top. Um, we absolutely must control our borders. Um, and if someone doesn't take control of it, America could look very different in a very short period of time. It's already starting, to. People can find you by going to your website, which is your name,
2: Cecily Davis, C-I-C-E-L-Y com. You're running for Minnesota District 5 against squad member Ilion Ooh, Omar, who just gave me the willies. <laughs> <laughs> Cecily, you, you are <laughs> welcome back anytime on the show, and good luck. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. God bless. Cicely, it
6: was a pleasure.
4: Cicely Davis, Take check
2: sure. her out. Victim in on the line. First time on the show. He is an immigrant trying to become a legal citizen. And because he didn't come illegally over the Mexican border with the Haitians, he's not a citizen yet. So we've got to help him get his citizenship. Want to welcome onto the show the host of freedom's disciple jonathan dunn good afternoon john how are you doing today
7: good afternoon thank you so much for having me or as we say in ireland top of the morning (laughs) top of the afternoon in this case
2: the top of the guinness (laughs) you mean
7: absolutely well i'm the one irish person that doesn't really drink so i don't i can't really say that one so Um, but yes thank you so much for having me on
2: oh it is our pleasure I mean, I started writing notes all over last night, and I wrote half a dozen different things with Ted Yoho, and I only carried about three of them over. But, oh my goodness, we have, I have never seen border security in our nation at its lowest. And I mean, I thought it was bad when I was a New York City cop under Giuliani and you made an arrest and you were not allowed to call INS and tell them you believe you had an illegal alien, you, you, were, you were forbidden to do that. That I thought was bad. But when it comes to just not even stopping them at the border and allowing them to have a temporary visa and let them disappear and never follow up, it blows my mind. The only thing I can think of is this is an actual invasion to destroy our, this nation.
7: Yeah, the rhetoric around your country, like, I agree the border is a massive issue, but also the hypocrisy of the laws is just unbelievable. So right now your border is open and anyone can come across, you know, no negative PCR test, no proof of vaccination, no nothing, no, you know, no papers, no nothing. But for me to to come here as a a tourist and do a speaking tour, I had to go to Turkey for 15 days to isolate. I had to have a vaccination status to get into Turkey legally or else I wouldn't have been allowed in. And then to get into America, I had to prove within 72 hours I had to take a COVID test and prove I was negative. And that's what had to happen to come into your country. And then I get me met at the border or not at the border, at the airport. And I got to answer a load of questions from the TSA and uh, Homeland Security about what's the purpose of my trip, where am I staying, what am I doing, all these different things to make sure I'm doing things legally, which I always do. I'm always above board, But I had to go through all of that. But yet your borders wide on open. And immigration is an issue that really frustrates me in your country because no one wants to actually deal with the actual problem.
2: No, because they're afraid if you do end up enforcing the actual laws, um, heaven forbid you'd be called a racist. Mm-hmm because they're not white caucasian. Yeah. It's not that. They're breaking mm-hmm. the law that makes them a criminal. The very fact that they crossed the border without yeah. going through the proper channel. And that makes them a criminal. Yeah.
7: Period. But also, I think if you use the right narrative, you win this because the problem that I have with, you know, with things is it's easy to focus on the border. But obviously COVID changed these stats. But prior to COVID, that world that did exist prior to COVID, only about 40 to 45 percent of illegal people in your country crossed your border. The vast majority of the 60 percent actually entered your country legally and overstayed their visa. But the and I used to always have frustrations with Republicans who just talk about the border. It's like, yeah, the border is a big issue. You should build a wall. But you also need to understand that there's 60 percent of if you care about illegal immigration, there's actually 60 percent of the legal immigration that you can fix overnight. Because these people came into your country illegally, they came by a tourist visa, they came by a work visa and they overstayed or they came by a college visa. You have a lot of paperwork, you have a lot of documentation. If you want to start there, start deporting them and that breaks down the racist narrative that you're going after these people, because the people who overstay these visas, like the amount of Irish people who are in this country illegally. And as an Irish person, I always, I have no sympathy for people who are Irish and overstayed their visa. I hope you deport every single last one of them. And they're mostly whites. So I think if you actually change your narrative, build a wall, secure the border, because obviously there's massive things with the cartel, there's massive things with opioid problems, there's massive drug problems, but also there's 60% of the illegal immigration you can solve overnight if you actually enforce your laws. But no one ever seems to want to talk about that. And I think if you change that narrative, you actually you know take away the racist element and you take away every trick that the Democrats are playing, and say, hey, this is why you know they can't do it, and this is why it's for everyone. And i think if you do that you, you'd be surprised at how quickly you'll change the american's people's opinion on, on immigration
2: well this is not a new problem this has been going on for decades uh, no. because i remember mm-hmm. my husband and i had a favorite favorite place the jolly uh swagman which is an australian restaurant where i lived on long island at the time we loved going there because the food was fantastic and the owners were from australia legal immigrants became u.s citizens but they had this thing where whenever they needed workers, they brought in fellow Australians that came here illegally. So every once in a while, they had to go through a raid. I mean, this was going back yeah. in the 80s. And how much longer before this has been going on? Yeah. Lord knows. So it's it's something our government, it's, yeah. it doesn't matter what administration, it's been ongoing. And it has not been fixed. Ever since they changed the laws, which I nope. believe it was back in '74. Where it used to be when you came here, you had a sponsor, you had to have a job lined up, you had to have a place lined up. You could not be on the government dole for five years and you had to you had to do so many things before you even came here. And 74, they rescinded that and it just opened the floodgates and we've got to bring that back.
7: Absolutely, but also you see that this is a very nuanced debate and the the problem is you have to talk about every aspect of it. And this is the problem that you don't actually get with politics when you have, because everyone wants to make their political point and then stop talking. So the problem is your border is open, you know, and, and people want to come to your country. And I get immigrants. I'm one of those immigrants who thinks America is the highest aspiration in a of terms of I want to be an American. But the thing is, you also need to understand the problem is very complex. One of the reasons you have people coming across the border is one is because you have, you know, it's open and people say, well, that's the easiest way to get in. The second reason is, is because to do things legally, I had a job with Glenn Beck. I had in 2017. He offered me a job, and he was going to hire. I was going to work for him privately, and I was going to be a researcher for him. It's very hard to do things the right way. I didn't meet the visa requirements. The reason I failed the visa requirements, and we didn't even apply because it would have been a waste of ten thousand dollars of Glenn Beck's money because we would never have got it, was firstly I didn't have a college degree. I have an advanced diploma, which is just under that, but that doesn't count for anything. But the second reason was a bigger problem was when the lawyers met me and we met the two different lawyers because we didn't like the first lawyer's answer and wanted the second opinion but they both said the same thing was show me your work experience show me you can be a researcher for glenn on the constitution so this is not a problem i've done speaking tours i've done shows on the blaze i was, I was with, the, with the blaze three years i've written for countless publications i showed them i gave them all these links to here's the proof i can do this job and they said that's great that's a lot of proof how much money have you been paid show me your pay slips. And I went. I've never been paid, I do this all as a volunteer. In the eyes of the federal government, that doesn't count for anything. That's not work experience, you can't apply. So that's the reasons I fail. But the problem is is the vast majority of work visas is a visa called the H1B visa. The vast majority of these jobs go to bankers, doctors and lawyers of big multinational companies who have the political context. So if you're a person like me or you're an immigrant or someone in Mexico or Haiti or everywhere else and you're wanting to escape poverty and you genuinely love America, guess what? The only way you get there is illegally or you hope someone is there legally and you can get there through chain migration. That's this. What you need to do is enforce your laws. See what ways that may, you know, only have people who are legally here or there. But also understand that you also need to reform your legal immigration and say, listen, how, who do we want in our country? Does America need more doctors? Well, maybe you do in 2021. But do we need more lawyers? Do we need more bankers? Or do we need more of different types of people? People who will actually love America, who understand why socialism and big government is never the answer. and is always the problem and who will add to society. And that's what I think you need to do. But the problem this never happens is because lawyers and and legal immigration is so costly that the lobbyists are up in D.C. going, do not change the system. We make a fortune. As I said, Glenn put $10,000 aside to get me here legally. $10,000. Wow. You know, I come from a family...
2: Family of immigrants. I was married to an immigrant and he was happened to have been a refugee from World War Two, a displaced persons camp was where he was born in Germany. His father uh, was a major in the Latvian army fighting against the Russians and the Nazis. Um, So he came with his, his three sisters and his mom and dad and his grandmother. And they came through legally, they had a sponsor, but because they were displaced without a country, they didn't have to have all the other things, like uh, a degree, which both of them did, both of the parents did have their degrees. Um, Matter of fact, my Mm -hmm. father-in-law was a teacher before he became uh, an army major, and uh, they met most of the requirements and were able to have it with the sponsor and everything else. So I look at what they went through. Um, My Three of my grandparents were em- immigrants. Um, one of them came over as an infant. His father came over, dropped him in an orphanage, and disappeared. Uh, the other grandfather came over right. as a young man, you know, looking for a f- to become an American, make his fortune. My gra- his wife, my grandmother, came here as a tourist, and when World War One broke out, she got stuck here with her sisters. So each one came through legally and then became American citizens. So I've lived this. So I have seen it. They became all American citizens. And you did not speak German or Italian. One side was German. The other side Italian. You did not. That's not the language you speak. This is America. We are American. You speak English only. So I never learned Italian. Yes. And, you know, I've lived through this and watched them struggle. And when I hear someone like you that is having a hard time and I look at this porous border, it just makes my blood boil. And I know the damage Mm, that these people (laughs) can do because I've lost a friend of mine, Bob Machadi, officer Bob Machadi, was killed by an illegal immigrant that another friend of mine who worked for INS escorted back over the border three times. He came back over a fourth time and then murdered this police officer on duty who happened to have been a friend of mine. And I'll never forget yeah. Bob Machadi. So yeah, I know that the devil did do. But even,
7: absolutely. But I think if you, like, I honestly think if, if you can get the politics out of this and get both parties out of it, and you actually, the American people start sharing a narrative about immigration, I think you actually can win it because it's such a powerful argument. Like, you know, just take, you know, give me give you some stories, you know, if you want to use mine, do. The idea that you have an open border and at the same time, John has to go to Turkey for 15 days and it costs him two and a half thousand dollars. How is that just unfair? Or then if you want to talk to someone who's a bit more radical, kind of go, who wouldn't have a problem with that, just go, well, that's just the way the system works. Well, just look at the actual journey you're asking these people to go illegally. You know, I hear about the, from the left always say this, if it could just save one child, this policy be worth it. Do you know how many people die making that journey? Because it's not a fun journey. Especially if you do it at the wrong time of year where it's extremely hot and you're in the middle of a desert and you've got rattlesnakes and you've got, you can have heat stroke, you can die of starvation, you can die of thirsty because if you run out of water, it's not a safe journey. That's just the, the, the geographics of it. Then you add that you're putting these people in the hands of a cartel. To make these different crossings because there's different sort of um, waterways that they have to cross or there's different sections that they have to go with a coyote. Do you think that's responsible? Even if you want to, forget the adults, do you think it's safe sending a kid into the hands of a cartel saying, hey, come to America, go to the cartel? If you share this narrative, you win. Or share the stories about all the legal immigrants, and this is what I always encourage people behind the scenes who have, you know, shared some stories like you. Because I'm blessed to meet many people at speaking. I'm kind of go. You need to start speaking out and say, look, all the things you had to do to get here legally. And here's the thing: you did it because you love America. And look at how much you've achieved because you came here legally and you got the American dream to pursue your happiness and you became very successful. Now, why is it fair that you had to do all of that work, all of that time, all of that expense, all of that stress? and at the same time, people can just cross. How is that compassionate? If you share those, those three simple narratives, you win. Or even if you have to say, you talk about the legal immigration, the system, who's getting rich from the system? Lawyers, even the left hate the lawyers. I think if you share the correct narrative, you'll be surprised at how much you can change your immigration system and really quickly because the people will demand you change it because deep down, even despite all the politics and the, you know, the, the, the narrative of left versus right and Democrats versus Republicans, the average American is still very good, very decent, and will want to do the right thing. It's just they're not been given that option or they're not been given that narrative or they're not being given that choice. And I think if you give them the choice, you will be shocked at how many respond favorably to you. Well,
2: not only that, The enslavement that happens when these people do cross over illegally because they have to pay these coyotes. They have to pay the cartels. They wear these little armbands, different colors, meaning whether or not they paid or they owed or they have to work it off. And they're being forced to bring across drugs, illegal weapons, uh, Mm -hmm. end up joining gangs like MS-13 because these people come over and they're sworn that this is the debt they have to pay or into human trafficking. Young babies, as well yep. as women and young mm-hmm. boys, being sold into human trafficking, told to work. And you're out there on the street, and you've got to take 20, 30 different Johns a, a day? Oh, come on.
7: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, and, and these
7: yeah, no, that's, poor that's babies. Yeah, that's an issue that's very close to my heart. That that Yeah, absolutely. There's more kids in sex slavery today than there was in the whole slave trade combined. And no one wants to talk about it, but everyone wants to re-talk about slavery. We should talk about slavery. We should learn the lessons and make sure it never happens again in America, but also it's happening around the world. But we also must take the examples of that there's more kids in sex slavery, not just slavery, sex slavery. And we need to rise up and say, never never again meant something. The world at World War II said never, ever again. Well, why are we doing it again? We're literally watching it happening. And all I hear in so many circles is crickets, silence, and ignorance is no longer an excuse. The evidence is clear. There's more kids in sex slavery. As you said, there are people out there who are, you know, having to perform 20 sex acts a night. They don't get paid for it. They're forced to do it. They have to do porn. They have to, you know, reveal their bodies. They have to do horrific things. And these are kids. And, 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 you know, just to be real blunt, because I know this topic, because it's a, it's one that really annoys me. I try and help out behind mm-hmm. the scenes. When I say kids, I'm talking about as young as a four year old boy before asking, to, been told to perform a sex act or having a sex act performed them. Imagine looking at a four-year-old boy, imagine looking at your four-year-old son or your four-year-old daughter or your four-year-old grandbaby saying, you have. imagine them having to perform a sex act or have one performed on them. That's what's happening in the world right now. And all I hear in so many circles is, oh, didn't know that. What are you gonna do about it? Uh, I go back to my cushy life. I, it's, not, it's not popular to talk about it. We need to start telling people these narratives and telling the truth and start waking people
2: up. No, I would, plus the cartel, has a massive army on the border to prevent our border Mm -hmm. patrol from doing their job. They're sending hit squads across the border into American homes and murdering Americans in their homes. This is costing lives. Not only just the enslavement of Mm -hmm. these people coming over, and if they're not good enough for the sex trade, then they're sold into servitude where they work in either sweatshops, or some rich person now has a new cook in their kitchen that they don't have to pay. So you just give them a little bed in the back shack. It doesn't, they don't treat them like human beings. It's cheap labor, very cheap labor. And why Mm -hmm. do you think these big corporations Uh don't want for us to get our people, Americans back to work? Because now they've got cheap labor coming over the border to work in the factories. No, no you're, you mm-hmm. verify.
7: Don't but worry think, about that. You know, but I think, you know, and this is what I always boil it down to. If you look at just the arguments, we've just discussed the narrative of all these points. I, I think if you share these narratives, Again, outside of politics, it's up to your people to share them. I think if your people share them, I don't, you know, obviously there'll always be fringes on on either side who won't think, who won't care, won't anything. But the vast majority of Americans are still good, decent people. I think if you start sharing these narratives, I think the average American, regardless of how they vote with party affiliation they have beside their name or how they voted, I think will be shocked at this and kind of go, that's not right. We need to do something. Yeah, Yeah, you do. You, but you can do something. And then I, that's what I believe. But the problem is, how many times do you hear these stories? How many times you know, do, you, do you hear people talk about these things? How many people do you share an honest narrative where there's no anger in what we're saying? There's no malice in what we're saying. We're just saying, hey, these are the things that are going on. This is why we need to act and this is why we need to stop it. And hey, this is not fair to, to people like me, to people who want to do the right thing, to the immigrants who are trying to come here illegally. It's not fair on them either. Um, you know, to put them in that situation to make that journey or to be held at a cartel or to be put in sex slavery. Most people will know that and kind of go, that's wrong. If you share these narratives, you win.
2: Yeah. And then for everybody that comes over, an NGO is getting our tax dollars to find them and help them resettle. But we're resettling them where the cartel wants them. So we are actually giving the cartel a hand. By helping to resettle them wherever the cartel wants them to go. And then we pay these NGOs to be traffickers of slaves.
7: Yep. Mm -hmm. And
2: and the NGOs can be... It's a great
7: tax system. Your taxpayers' works are great money.
2: And the groups that do it could be the Lutheran Church, the Catholic bishops. It's the churches as well as private nonprofit organizations. I mean, um, what's her name? Ann something or other has a great... She had a website up for the UN resettlement. But what she started with the NGOs, it just dovetails into this disaster that's happening at the border. And once they come in, they disappear. They disappear. Yep. And then we are the bad guys. But again. Yep. we become the bad guys.
7: Keep going. You're
2: the bad (laughs) guys. We are the bad guys. We're the racist we the ones that
7: don't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, your narrative exactly hasn't been, I say, like, you know, just think of the arguments. I don't know how long we've been speaking, 15, 20 minutes. We've shared different narratives. You know, the, the narrative from from America and all sides hasn't been good on, on immigration. So I think if you, if you change your narrative and you change your tone, I think you take the racist element out of it. And I, again, you know, the, if, you know, for me, and this is just because, you know, I'm Irish and stuff, like, I wish you'd start deporting Irish people. But, you know, you say that to Americans and they kind of go, why would you want to do that? Why, why, why are they a problem? Kind of goes, they're here illegally. You know, so I think if you start, if you actually start talking about deporting Irish people, English people, European people who are here illegally, you know, that sort of breaks down the narrative of, well, you're, it's clearly not a racist thing. for You're deporting everyone who's here illegally. And um, so I think, you know, if, if, if my always pleading people, add that to your narrative, because obviously coronavirus has changed because no one could get into your country really hard. So it's probably 100% illegal immigration is by your border. But prior to coronavirus, the majority of it was visa overstays. And that's majority white people. If you start reporting them, well, who's going to say your race is then? They'll try and say it, but then you can just put out the figures and kind of go, yeah, guess what? We deported more white people than Hispanic people. Why? Because they're Irish and they're English and they're European and they're Australian and they're here illegally. And we don't care. We're, we're the side of legal immigration. We don't care about your race. You might care about the race, but we don't. We only care about whether you're legal or illegal. If you follow the system, welcome. You're enti- you come to America, embrace America, pursue your American dream. If you come here illegally, sorry. You know you, You're going to be deported regardless of where you come from. But you'd be shocked at the answers. You know, the one thing I will say this, and this is unpopular, and I apologize if this offends that you or the audience who was listening. The, the sad thing about it is when I say this to the people, they kind of go, well, you know, they say, we shouldn't deport the Irish people who are here illegally. Why? Well, they add so much, to, Irish people have added so much to society. I'm sorry, I'm Irish. I don't care how much they've added to your society. They're here illegally. It's a simple law question for me. And I want, to, I want, you, to, I want you to, I want you to, I would love you to start deporting Irish people because that will counter the narrative I'm, I, and this is just a personal thing for me obviously you don't base american policies on what the irish guy wants but I, I get tired when i hear irish politicians going to dc with the sole intention of getting amnesty for irish people only i i hope that never happens i hope you deport every single last one of them and um, because they broke your law and that, that that hurts me i hope you deport every english person who's illegally and it's again it's not a race thing for me it's everyone But people say that to me, kind of go, well, why would you want that? I want everyone deported who's illegal. It's not a race thing for me. And I think if you share that narrative, you'll be surprised again, how many people come to your side because the racist issue goes away.
2: Yeah, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And as you said, these visa overstays and people think border towns are only along the coast or along the Southern or Northern border. No, we've got 50 states Every single state is a Mm -hmm. border state. If you can fly in here with a visa and then disappear into the fabric of America and stay beyond your visa, you're an illegal alien, period. 50 border states. Like,
7: I have to leave by a certain time. And, you know, most people say, well, why don't you stay illegally? I have to leave by a certain time. I have 90 days. You know, if I stay 91 or 92 or 95 or 100 or 120 or 140 or 100 or 200 years or 200 days or a year, I'm illegal. I should be deported. I've, you know, I, 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 I agreed when I came into this country, I would not stay more than 90 days and I will fulfill my oath. And I will leave and then I will try and come back as quickly as I can because I do things above the books. I do everything legal. So that, that's the thing. But most people say, no, you, you know, you shouldn't. You know, you should you should just overstay your visa. I'm like, no, because then I'm adding to the system. I'm adding to the problem. You, you do things the right way. You make things better and you make things legal for everyone or for, you know, ever how America decides to say, this is who, who, this is who we want as legal immigrants. And that's up for the American people to decide, not for me to say. But, you know, then you decide and then you enforce those laws. And if they need to be amended, you amend them. You need to reduce or you need to increase or you need to change the criteria. Do it. But you, you always should always have a system of your country of laws and follow them and follow them. And it doesn't know any age, race, boundary, sexuality, creed, nothing. It's you have a criteria, this is the criteria to get in. You meet it, you get in, you don't, sorry.
2: But we have the elitist. The elitist say, well, we know better than you. The law is for thee and not for me. Yep. So I get to choose what to mm-hmm. uphold and what not. You don't have a choice. If we say you must be vaccinated yep. or you don't work, then that is what it is. It doesn't matter if it, it's not a law. It's just uh, something that Mm -hmm. Biden said, there's no executive order, but yet, nope, he's declaring, he's declaring that, oh, if you don't get vaccinated, you don't have a job. Well, who are you to decide how, where and how I live? That's not the American way. And we have allowed our country to devolve so far, so far. And it's okay, you know, as many illegal aliens, we can let them in, let them in, let them in, but. If you were to travel on a plane, you got to show your vaccination passport. you got to fill out a form yep. when you try to come back in. You're an American citizen. It doesn't matter if you have proof that you're an American citizen. you got to fill out all these forms before you get mm-hmm. off the plane. And then you have to go through customs yep. and declare whatever you bring yep. back. But you can come across, even if the kid's not yours, you can bring some kid over the border just so to get yourself over the border and the customs Uh, The Border Patrol won't bother you. You can come freely. You can allow the cartels and we'll help you. We'll bus you any city you want to go. And don't worry about being vaccinated. Don't worry if you've got leprosy, tuberculosis, rubella. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We'll take you in. Oh, but by the way, the the hospitals no longer are having their, their ERs and ICUs open because... They're firing the staff for not getting the vaccination. So medical care, uh, yep. you may or may not get some, but we'll try. We'll we'll, we'll see what we can do.
7: Brilliant. Yeah, but that issue is a slightly different issue for me. Uh, obviously, it's interlinked, but it's more frustrating. And the saddest thing I've been, I've been here since September 7th, I think was the date I arrived, um, and I've been here over a month. And this is the second month of my tour. And I've been to many different states, including your wonderful state, speaking for a week. And the saddest thing that happened just on that mandate was, and this has been a sad thing for overall, but the lack of fight. You know, the beauty of America is you have a political power system that fights this structure. If you understand your constitution, the president has no power. There's literally nothing a president can do in the Oval Office without Congress. Um, But the narrative is they're the most powerful person in the world. And this is a narrative that's been sown for the longest period of time. But the saddest thing about that mandate is the answer isn't, you know, I've heard people, you know, what's the answer to this? Well, this is why we need a new president in 2024. That'd be nice, but it's not what the founders wanted. Well, this is why we need the Republicans to have the House and the Senate in 2022. I, I say that would be nice, but is it how nice would it be considering 11 Republicans sold the American people out last week to extend the debt ceiling? So Republicans aren't all the, the, the full solution, but well, that would be nice, but it's not the solution. The solution is your states. The fair, the power your founders gave you, the solution to every problem your founders gave you belongs in the states. And the saddest thing I've seen since that mandate, that mandate is out a month, is the lack of fight from the states. The states should stand up. And I'm currently in the great state of Texas. Every governor, every mayor in the country, every state rep, every state senate, they should be passing resolutions. They should be passing special sessions. This should be happening in Texas, Florida, South Carolina, Tennessee, Mississippi, all these Republican red conservative states and saying, you know what, Mr. President, when it comes to our state, it's dead on arrival because we don't recognize your authority. The Constitution says you as a body have no power and that the power belongs to the state. And the states seem to be just accepting this or very casually doing anything. I know, th- I know they can't file lawsuits because there's no regulation, but I don't see any states actively passing many laws to say there is no mandate in our states. There is no mandate that says you must put a vaccine into your body. And it's so sad to see it, and it's so sad to see how the states have just become so spineless and so weak. But we need to inspire the states to rise up and say, not on our watch. And if people don't, if people like that answer and your state isn't doing it, you need to start voting for people who will stand up and say, whether it's a Republican House or a Republican Senate or a Republican President or a Democratic version of it, when it comes to the power in the Constitution, there's very limited powers DC can do. The power belongs to the state and it belongs to the people. And if you want to solve your problems, that's how you do it. That is the first and best and only solution you have.
2: Well, you know, DeSantis has been doing a lot. I know my governor, McMasters, has been doing a lot. Whether or not he's got through on the vaccine mandate, I do believe he said that he was not going to have a vaccine mandate. Uh, So I don't know of anyone that's lost their job because they were not vaccinated. I don't know of anyone, honestly. not N- not yet, not here in South Carolina. But the
7: only state right now is Montana. The only state is, and it's even in federal regulation, I saw this, um, where they said you must have a vaccine unless you're Montana. That's the only state that they have has actually done it. And that's, uh, it's even the federal government that said they can't, that you can't be fired for doing it. But like, it's been a month. They, I hope people are doing stuff behind the scenes. I really do, because I'm, I'm traveling. I don't get to hear as much news as I'd like, and I don't get to follow each individual state. But, you know, as traveling through the states, I see a lot of, I've heard so many horror stories, especially by Republicans in Republican conservative states, of playing the game and of not doing the right thing and not standing for the people and not standing for the Constitution. It really troubles me. You know, the, the amount of stories I've heard in the last month of Republicans doing bad things, of raising taxes, of violating the Constitution, it makes me want to, I'm always banging my head off a big wall. I'm kind of like, am I in well, New York or am I in Texas or am I well, in South Carolina?
2: John, John. um. I want to let people know that they can find you at freedomsdisciple.com uh you have the podcast on the blaze yeah. uh for that one and i you, yeah i do have you scheduled to be here in south carolina on monday correct on monday okay yes so... ma'am
7: monday evening can't wait i'm looking forward to it
2: well i'm looking forward to meeting you so i'll see you soon and i'll see you at the end of the weekend and good night and god bless god
7: bless you take care
2: Our guest is in the studio, so I want to welcome former congressman from Florida, Ted Yoho. Good afternoon, Ted. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great, Annie and Curtis. I um, appreciate you having me on again.
2: Yeah. Well, I was just on a local... No problem. I was on a it's local rant uh, because uh, we've got an off-year election, and my local county council is slipping in some nasty stuff onto the ballot, and we are at full war right now. So we got the election coming up. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you are. Oh, man. I mean, let me put it this way. I have been on such a chair for the last month that, you know, um, back in August, my members of the Tea Party had asked me, would we censure Lindsey Graham? Because he voted for that infrastructure bill, that boondoggle with so much pork in it. It's uh, unbelievable. And he helped pass that. And I said, all right. Yeah. And Mike. my tea party said let's do it i said okay now we're not a formal group we're just a bunch of people that meet we're not incorporated we decided we don't want the irs on our back and we've been doing this since 2009 it's the first time we've actually wrote a censure of any elected official and it finally got sent to lindsey graham's office it got sent to my county gop it got sent to the state gop it got sent to the newspapers and yesterday morning, I go into the liquor store for my little sneaky peek, and there was the newsstand right <laughs> next to the front door. I look over, and I see I am on the front page. <laughs> so
0: How are you? Congratulations!
2: I, I'm laughing. You're
0: a public enemy number one now, huh?
2: <laughs> oh, I've been that for a while. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: you just heightened that, huh?
2: Oh man, I just, I just.
0: Well, lit- you know, you said something there. That's kind of neat. You're not incorporated, and if you go back to when the Tea Party um, movement happened, it was an unorganized, organic movement of the frustrations that people had in this country. And I can only imagine, prior to the Revolutionary War, there was that sentiment and that feeling. But they did it without an internet, without news. Well, with kind of um, media that we have today.
8: Can you hear me?
2: Yep, we got you. Lou? Yeah, we got you. Okay. You're going through the local McDonald's. Um, But, But, you know, they they had the the town crier. They had the people that wrote their newspapers. Uh, Publis is one of them. Um, There was so many that were out there putting out their pamphlets but you also had the black robe regiment and that's what we don't have anymore the black robe regiment to stand there in the pulpit and say that this is what the bible and this is what jesus teaches us and this is where our government is stepping on our faith on our rights and it's time for us to speak up and speak out we're missing that
0: it really is and we are coming to that point, and I think it's going to come rapidly. Um, I was in Alachville County last night at their Black time Blue Jeans. They had almost a thousand people there. Candace Owens was their speaker. And she just knocked it out of the park with her delivery, her message, and her story. And um, you know, uh, she makes no bones about this, and I feel the same way. This is a war that we are in. I mean, it has started. Uh, let's hope it stays peacefully and that people will rise up and answer that call and push back on this nonsense that the Democrats I can't even call them Democrats anymore. If you look at their doctrines, you know, you go to Kamala Harris. She talks about uh, each should give according to their ability to the, to those um, according to their needs. Yeah. And the new appointee that uh, our nominee for the um uh, the regulator of the currency. She is um, a graduate of the Lenin Grad School of Economics, and she has espoused the very same words. And she says that the uh, Soviet system of economy and jobs are far superior when it was the USSR to the United States. And so when people say, oh, we're Democrats, no, you're communists. The modern day Democrats are communists, and I make no bones about that. And we
3: need to call these people out.
2: Yeah. Well, not only did she attend the Lenin Academy, she did so on a Soviet scholarship. She's openly Marxist. I mean, we have open. It used to be a point where they hid. You never knew that they were communists. But there is a communist caucus in Congress it used to be called the the democratic caucus it used to be called the progress it went from democrat to progressive to communist caucus they're openly there
0: yeah and i'm yeah And correct me if i'm wrong but didn't we fight several wars to prevent the spread of communism
2: and we still are obviously but we're not getting it right you know Uh, We we gave up Afghanistan, which opened the door for China to step in and help them. So all we're gonna have is a Muslim caliphate controlled by communist China, because they'll go from Afghanistan, Tajikistan, um, Pakistan, over to Iraq. It's just a leap across and all the the, uh, Arab peninsulas, that whole Middle East area will be part of China. It'll be, Satellite of China. Come on. They're already controlling. It,
0: re- it really will be.
2: I mean, they've got their fingers You're in right. our, Go our government. They've got our, the fingers in almost every single government throughout the entire world, and no one is paying attention. And we have allowed them Let, let's to saturate us. To okay. Let's come back to that. Let's
0: come back to that. Curtis, you, you asked something?
6: Yeah. Any, and I would talking before you came on and i was telling her that the democrats are about to shoot themselves in the foot because america you know is now getting a taste of this socialism with the um, mandates and the the high um gas prices and the shortages and the, the grocery stores and i think and, and both of us think that it's going to be a big you know red wave in 2022 uh, people just fed up and as you know, I speak to different groups all across um, the Fruita Plain and everywhere I go, people are just frustrated I mean, it's above level 10 it's like a 12 or 14 they are steamed, they are ticked off so actually, I'm hoping that the Democrats keep this up because they're going to be the downfall their own downfall that's what I want to say
2: Curtis, I don't know what did we just lose 10? I think we just lost 10 of so
0: those groups that you're speaking to.
2: Well, we can you we, not hear me? No, we didn't. Hello? We, we lost you for a second. Go ahead, uh, say it again.
0: Well, I'm talking okay, okay Curtis. The demographics I'm of the groups you. that you speak to describe them.
6: Oh, they're all conservatives. Um, for the most part, they are business people, they are people who rely on um, other businesses to stay in business, you know, I mean, you know, when you have to have people that bring, say like you run at a restaurant, or well, you need to have paper cups and plates and, and meats and things like that to come in. And if you're not getting that, it's hard to um, keep your business open. And right. What about itself? the age? restaurants. What
0: about the age oh, that's represented?
6: The age? Well, the gender and the race. I would say um, the circles I travel basically are Caucasians and some Latinos and and a handful and I mean a handful of blacks, but there there are people that's over fifty, and most of them are. Um, business people, some are retirees, they are people who were part of the Tea Party, Republican clubs, um, Republican right. executive committees, and and then there's some um, independents and even Democrats that I know that are upset, you know, I mean, you, they have, this are. Guy, you have this guy in office group. who has to be reminded every day that he's president, you know, and then. He responds. some sure. um, I am what what country <laughs> oh, well, when they, you look they they at the voting off.
0: block I think it's 70 to 80 percent of the millennials voted for Joe Biden mm-hmm. now that's right keep in mind what our educational system has done over the last 40 years it has dumbed down America we're issuing more degrees but we're getting dumber in math reading and science The things that are important for a country to move forward with innovation and things like that. And that is one of the designs of Marxist doctrine is they want to take education and put it in the hands of the government. They don't they want to break down the family. And Curtis, you and I have talked about the African-American family and we're seeing extending into the white families with the amount of people being born out of wedlock. I think it's 75 percent of the African-Americans are born out of wedlock. Um, the whites are um, going up in that scale. And so it is by design that this is happening. And if you dumb down your populace, your voting block, the government can do pretty much what they want to. And then you think of 9-11 and I've talked to groups of this. Um, I'll talk to a young group and I'll say, how many people ever flew on an airplane prior to 9-11, 2001? Very few hands went up. And then ask them this question. How many of you have flown before TSA was present? And you'll have 90% of those kids or the young adults never knew the freedoms and liberties we had that we have lost by a government program, TSA, that was only supposed to be a temporary program that has been put in place. So they know no different that they think this is the way it's supposed to be. And government is doing this by design. And when you look at a country like China, that's got one point close to 4 billion people and people are perplexed that they don't stand up for liberty and freedom. They don't know what that is because for 70, well, since 1949, they have been ruled by a communist party that has teached and their doctrine is there is no power in the universe stronger Than the communist party and you're supposed to um, um, bow down to the communist party and serve the communist party and that's what's happening in this country and so if we do not win this next election in a red wave this country is on the path of forever changing unless there are stronger tactics to change it back to a constitutional republic
2: that is a huge amen because I said the whole purpose of this is that we no longer kneel at the altar of God, but we bow at the altar of government. And I have been yelling that for years, and that's the entire purpose. It's power, and, uh, control, and Yeah. Well, these the political the idiots, um, the intellectuals will find once they get rid of us, they're next. They're 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 disposable. Right, and disposable that's why I wanted to
0: point out. The demographics of the meetings that we speak to they're usually the GOP, the grand old party, you know people in walkers they're the old people they're di- the dying generation and we have got to engage young Americans and we have and they're out there. Uh, there's a group that started in Malachua um, County, um, Marlon Bruce, which I'll send you the information. He's a young African-American, very dynamic. They've traveled over 50,000 miles, raised $40,000, engaging young Americans, uh, conservatives.
2: Well, you know, we also have that movement. Not, I don't know if it's that specific, but we have here our young Republicans. And for a while, the group was yeah. working and it just kind of like withered out. But a young man, a African-American, dynamic also, took up the reins. And he's actually going into where other African-Americans live, because we've got the Golo Geechee culture up here and he's going out there and engaging them like, why are you voting for a Democrat? Well, this is an issue. I'll march with you, but let's look at it this way. And he has been engaging them and bringing them in and showing them that, hey, you've been led by sheep. But this is what these people are standing for. This is what they're fighting for They're fighting for things that will help you wake up, wake up and stop being on the plantation and come taste freedom. And that's basically his message.
0: You know, you, you, you hit that on the head. I mean, the Democratic Party are the plantation owners of the 21st century. Yeah. They want to give people what they want to keep them where they're at and dependent on a government program.
2: You know, what floors me is is that it has gotten so bad. And you and I are of the age where we lived through the civil rights movement. We were there when they started bussing. And Kamala Harris, I missed the bus so many times because they sent me over to the next town, which is two miles away. I ended up having to walk to school two miles. So you got the chance to ride the bus, Kamala Harris. I had to walk violin and books in hand. <laughs> yeah, I played the violin. Um, yeah. And you know, we fought for desegregation. We fought for the ideals of Martin Luther King: the content of character, not the color of skin. And we accepted people. You think? Look at the TV shows we had back there: All in the Family. Um, You think about all the TV shows we had, where race did not matter.
0: (laughs) Sanford and Sons.
2: Yeah, moving on up to the inside. Oh,
0: the Jeffersons, George and we right,
2: right, right. You know, you think about those TV shows and today they would be considered politically incorrect. But we said, no, everyone is equal. So now what are they doing? They're segregating the colleges campus. You could only have this area of multiculturalism and the rest are for the privileged white. Um, Even the dorms are being well. Well, then they're
0: separating graduations.
2: Yeah. I, I, that blew they're, my mind
0: when I saw separate uh, African-American graduations in some of those universities. Oh, I, no,
2: you That's also terrible. have a, a separate one for the LBGTQ community, too. They get, they get their separate
0: one. <clears throat> you know, Theodore Roosevelt gave a great speech on immigration, mm-hmm. and I won't go into the whole thing, but at the end of it, he says, there's room for one flag. It's the American flag. There's room for one language and learn it. And he goes, you're either a hundred percent American or not at all. We cannot be a bifurcated country. You're either an American or you're not. You know, and you can be from any culture you want to, and we'll respect that. And we always have, pretty much in the past, we've had some rough roads and rocky roads, but the immigrant nations that have come to this country have embraced the ideals of America, and that's what made that's what made America such a strong multicultural and diverse population because they all believed in the ideals that America stands for. And with what the Democrat party is doing, the communist party is doing is they're taking the words of Martin Luther King, judge me not by my color of my skin, but the character and content of my heart. They are going opposite of that and dividing this nation on the color of your skin and it's, again, it's a communist ploy, and it's directly out of the Marxist manual and Saul manual. Well, why manual. And we- why we allow them. In fact, Louis Gohmert had a bill to ban the Democratic Party because they were a communist anti-American party.
2: <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. Oh, that was just too funny.
0: I was okay. a co-sponsor of that.
2: Yeah. Well, it obviously went nowhere. <laughs> but uh, why do you think they're going after the parents and going at the school board meetings that are fighting CRT, critical race theory, because they don't want us to ban it from the schools? They don't want us to have our governors ban it from the curriculum. They want to force it upon us. And I, I watched parent after parent at the last school board I was at come up there, speak against it. And it didn't matter what color they were, Sure. and even the kids were coming up and, no. and talking about it, and they don't want us to talk about this. They don't want us to challenge our school board. And I went directly to my school board representative and I said, David, is this being taught? Because I'm looking at a website for CRT saying there's two teachers in our school district. And I gave him the names of the two teachers that signed a petition to keep CRT in the school and thankfully he went and checked to see if these people were employed so it was someone just putting down phony names thankfully and i said it is not being taught because not as i'm aware of and i said well i heard this one school in our district is teaching it and i heard that from a parent and he looked into it so we have to challenge well, every every, every you, step
0: well you ask the question why do you think they're doing that it's to break down the family and put all authority remove it from the parent and and, uh, give it to the state and they're doing this systematically and you know don't kid don't anybody kid themselves that are listening to you uh, that this is going on and we tend to look at the now what's happening around us but this goes back uh, a decade and a half Um, I, I like to start it with the Clintons but you can go back to Woodrow Wilson with the advent of the or the creation of the uh, Federal Reserve in 1913. But if you go back to Barack Obama and that group that got behind him and put him in, they're still in charge. And I'll never forget the words because this was one of the pivotal points that drove me into politics. It was five days before the inauguration and Barack Obama says, we are five days from fundamentally transforming America. Yep. Chuck Schumer said those very words uh, right before the elections of the two Democratic senators from Georgia, he goes. When we see, when we win these two con- uh, senatorial seats, we are going to fundamentally change America. So this is not something that's is in the now. I mean, we're in the battle right here, but this is a long-term strategy of fundamentally transforming America. And if you look at Pelosi's uh, the first ten bills, HR one through ten. It's the same bills as that were introduced last Congress. They were reintroduced this Congress, and they are fundamentally transforming America, and they, they have to be stopped. They're communists.
2: Yeah. Now, I, here's, here's the big poser, because when I heard about all the cargo ships starting to pile up back in early September, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, these ships are coming from China. Is this a manufactured problem? Are they putting up businesses that are supposed to be picking up all this stuff that's sitting on the docks? So it sits there and it piles up and the ships can't unload to deliberately make a goods shortage. Just as they did it with the pandemic, the goods shortages, everything disappearing off the right. shelves. They're doing it again. This is manufactured. And I went in so far as to write to my uh, state uh, senators and state uh, representative and to governor mcmaster and i said listen there's 27 republican governors here get all 27 together open up all the coastal ports of each of the coastal states that's a a red state and then get the other states that are inland to help you with the trucking and the transportation and the distribution use the national guard if you need for the logistics but open it up and invite them to our ports instead of waiting off the coast of california or new york No one has answered. Well, my one representative said, well, she'll speak to him. That was the last I heard. Today, Governor DeSantis has opened up the ports in Florida and said, bring your ships here. We'll unload them. We'll get the goods moving. The very idea that I came up with. Yeah, it'll be interesting
0: to see if they do that.
2: Well, DeSantis is.
0: No, No, that's a great idea. But you got to understand and look at why our manufacturing left this country to go to other countries because of our tax policies and the Chinese government treated our companies better at that time than the United States government. And so you had John Kennedy had one of the best tax reforms in history. Reagan had it. Uh, Trump signed the American jobs um, and tax act in the, in the law And you saw the booming economy and, you know, you look at what Biden is doing, you're not going to solve the supply chain issue if you drive companies out of America. We need those companies here. And it's unconscionable that an American company and I know they're multinational now, but they're not putting this nation as one of their top priorities to make this nation strong. And um, they kind of prostitute themselves out for profits. Um, The easiest way they can, instead of looking at what their responsibility is to a nation. And I I believe in free markets, but I also believe you need to be smart in what team you're playing on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I I still say this is all manufactured because we're waking up from the pandemic. We're getting our businesses back open. We're not wearing the masks. A lot of us are saying no to the vaccine and that's not working. So what's the next best thing? Raise the prices, cause inflation, and cause goods shortage. And that way, you're going to cow us again. No. But we've got to fight back. We've got to use American know how and innovation to get this rolling. If the government isn't going to do it, if the federal government is going to do it. We need our state governments to say, no, this is what the Constitution was about. The power remains with us. You have enumerated powers. You step beyond that. No, we're not letting you do that. And that's what DeSantis has done, and I want to see my no, I governor. agree with that. So you can tell I'm a little bit pissed off here. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> it's your show. You have that. You have that privilege.
2: Yeah. It, plus we. Now-
0: um. But Annie, to get the. Well, I was going to say to get the word out. It shows like you and Curtis getting that conservative voice out with a, a sense of reasoning. To educate people, to move them to action. It's people like Ron DeSantis that will be running for president and has a very good shot at winning that. um, That has a strong leadership and they love this country and they want to stick to the core values.
2: Yes. We want to rebuild our republic. I had someone on the show that said he wants to start a new government. Uh, I don't know if that's possible or if that would not result in armed conflict, but let's try it our way first, before we go to going that far and having another second revolution. I don't the want next
0: to... election, the next election will determine which direction we will go. If we don't win in a big wave and we get a different speaker of the House other than Kevin McCarthy, because Kevin's going to hold his finger up into the wind and he'll decide policies based on what's popular on TV and that. And it's all made by sound bites instead of leading the nation and uh, attack those big things border security our national debt fixing social security and medicare and um devolve from the federal government that which they shouldn't do and put policies in place that can't change with each administration and you do that by writing the legislation that gets passed in the law
2: i'd like i'd love to see louis gomer (laughs) because he's 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 no no holes barred i'd love to see that would drive (laughs) the democrats or the communists nuts
0: (laughs) well and, and louis i mean he's pure of heart and he gets such a bashing even i mean from his own party i mean when boehner was in there and paul ryan i mean they just tore him up and poor louis he's so passionate about this country i mean i've seen him come to tears and they just kind of laughed at him. And, um, you know, he's a fighter.
2: Well, Ted, you know, you're welcome on here anytime. I mean, I loved you in Congress. Kat Kamak is doing a, a great job, too. She's she's no-hold-barred herself. And they're coming <laughs> after her. They're coming after her really big time. Yeah. But she was your gal. And you should he said, have her on
0: if you haven't.
2: No, we had her when she was running. So I haven't been able to get her back on. So if you tell her go come back on an annie annie wants you back on the show <laughs> you you rope her in for
0: i'll it. text curtis her number
2: <laughs> all right ted. i'll
0: text Curtis oh, i got her, her number. cell number <laughs> okay I got Just give number her a call business man business tell her that she's tell so her, busy tell her ted told you to call
6: <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll do that
2: well ted thank I you would. so much all right buddy <laughs> you have a great day ted enjoy your weekend all right you we'll talk to you. all right ted, Uh, All right, former Congressman from Florida, Now, we've got our next victim up in the bullpen. Want to welcome back to the show a fellow paisano. we got three Italians again. How'd we manage to do that?
3: Hey, Um, (laughs) mama mia.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. Peter Navarro, uh, he was the uh, former um, advisor to President Trump that was put into purgatory at one point. Uh, And he also has a new book out also that I received only two days ago before, and I've just started reading it. And i have to apologize they didn't give me enough time it got dumped on my front porch at seven o'clock in the morning by amazon <laughs> <laughs> and the book is in trump time a journal of america's plague a year good afternoon sir how are you today
1: well you know in trump time the phrase is, is designed to mean it as quickly as possible so i guess we did not get in trump time to you in
3: Well,
2: You know that you're going to have to come back again now, you know, there's, there's no ifs, or buts about that. So we can talk. Matter of fact, Hans von Spakovsky, his book came in only yesterday afternoon, and he's the next guest right behind you. So hey, listen, <laughs> I'm popular, you know, well, I- I'll
1: give you look. And I'll give you the spoiler alert uh, Fauci lied Americans died the Chinese Communist Party attacked us with a virus Pence betrayed Trump uh and I'm just getting started so you know pick one of those topics
2: oh <laughs> man yeah. we had a a, a previous guest who, who talking about the HIPAA act and I was really shocked and surprised that representative uh Donald from Florida actually mentioned why isn't the HIPAA act being uh, invoked and every time Fauci opens his mouth, as a matter of fact, I've got to put up here uh, my mom. God bless her. She's eighty nine years old. You <laughs> want an Italian Roman Catholic grandma? Um, I have a mime, I'm trying to find it where I put Garland next to Fauci, and they could pass for brothers. I <laughs> mean, two stooges, right? Oh,
1: that's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although, although Fauci, if, you, if you're, you're familiar with the picture of Dorian Gray, story, I, I know there's a picture of him in his basement that looks like it's straight out of a Hieronymus boss painting. I, I'll tell you, <laughs> one of the key missions of the In Trump Time book um, is, is to make sure that we move Fauci quickly out of government and quickly into an orange jumpsuit in jail. And and uh, there's, a, there's an interesting story in the interim time book in chapter two of how I first meet uh, this this evil angel of death. Uh, I find him You know, I didn't know he walked on water. I, I, I took his measure before I realized he was God. And I found him instead to be, be, uh, be the devil. Um, but here's the thing that's so interesting um, you know he lied to Congress. He lied to Rand Paul about these gain of function experiments. And, and those experiments are when you take a harmless bat virus and turn it into something that can kill humans right um and and uh, that was a lie just for that alone he belongs in a jail cell but the bigger lie is the one of omission i tell in the in Trump time book and it's about a man who at the end of january 2020 at the very dawn of the pandemic was sitting across the room from me in the situation room And what did he know then? Let's just do the checklist. He knew that the virus came from Wuhan, China. Check that box. He knew that that virus popped up within yards of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Check that box. He knew that that Wuhan lab moonlighted as a bioweapons lab for the People's Liberation Army. Check that box. He knew, uh, and only a few people knew, uh, that he had given money, taxpayer funds, to fund that bioweapons lab in China. And he was the guy who, behind the back of the president, Trump, lifted the ban on gain-of-function experiments so that they could be conducted at that lab. And finally, Fauci knew, he was told by a prominent scientist, that the virus was genetically engineered. So he's sitting there at the end of January 2020, the very beginning of the pandemic, and the biggest lie of omission was for him not to confess to the president and the task force and me that the that, that virus in all likelihood was a weapon uh, that came from that lab. And I'm telling you, if he had simply told us that, we would have had a completely different strategy for tackling the virus. We could have saved millions of lives worldwide, hundreds of thousands of American lives. And like I say, the mission of the In Trump Time book is, is to expose the hypocrisy of Anthony Fauci and and get him out of government and into a jail cell.
2: You know, uh, I I had gone over with the previous guest, the number of people that have had adverse reactions, the number of people that have actually died or have been paralyzed or completely disabled, who have had miscarriages, uh, heart attacks, all these different reactions. And the total number with something like 779,000 people. Uh, how many have we had die here in the United States from actually from COVID and not from other causes like colon power? Uh, uh, what are we, about 300,000?
1: In terms of that, that's from, uh, from the COVID itself, but no, it's over 600,000 now. But here's the thing, i like to your point, um, I was um, the tip of the President's spear um, on Operation Warp Speed in many ways, and and in the In Trump Time book, I talk about how I was sitting in my office on February 9, 2020, writing a memo to the task force that said, hey, if we start today, we could have a vaccine by October or November. And we hit that mark, President Trump hit that mark. It was a miracle, but I, I was also writing Uh, memos at the same time that said hey look the vaccine's not going to be a silver bullet it's going to be leaky not going to be entirely effective and the virus itself is going to constantly mutate and and my position is as somebody who helped get the vaccine going um, i'm clearly not anti-vax is that we should only use that vaccine for only the most vulnerable people and that's that that's pretty limited to senior citizens who have a very high rate of mortality after a certain age and people with comorbidities like lung disease or heart disease and this whole Fauci universal vaccine jab the six-year-olds jab healthy people who've had the virus who have their own antibodies it's insane and it's part of the um, the 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 Biden regime's I mean, they're coming to China. like attack us with a virus, and and then they turn us into them. I mean, they turn us into a fascist state where where we're we're firing people because they won't take a, an experimental vaccine which could kill them. I mean, it's 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 pretty alarming stuff. Bottom line,
2: it is, it is, and we're seeing the Republican governors start to fight back. My own governor McMaster's just the other day said, "We will not follow the government." federal government mandate. Matter of fact, we're going to penalize anyone who decides to fire someone because of the government federal mandate. We are a state, we're invoking our, our 10th amendment rights of you know sovereignty. And I, I think DeSantis has done the same thing. And this is what we need. We need these governors to fight back. And you mentioned a lot of something similar to this, no matter how how you were fighting the swamp. I mean, you get there, you're the closest advisor to the president and they toss you across the street where you can't even talk to him or see him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the book is is in many ways also a study of my own survival. I was the only one of three officials who was with the president from uh, the 2016 campaign where I served as his top economic and trade advisor um, all the way to the, the, uh, the bitter end, as it were. And I, I was uh, frankly shocked when I first got to the White House that how many people were uh, disloyal to the president inside the perimeter um, and actively worked against his own uh, agenda. But you know, he prevailed in spite of that in many cases, uh, designed the best economy in modern history, uh, but the interrupt type book, it's, it's literally my journal of the plague year. I, I kept a daily journal and it really gives you uh, kind of a blow by blow account. Um, from January 15th, 2020 in the East wing, when the Chinese come to town to sign that skinny trade deal, um, all the way to the, the January 6th, uh, uh, chaos on Capitol Hill that, uh, that uh, led to the betrayal of the president by Mike Pence. And um, in between, uh, Fauci Fauci just consistently um, is is doing things that are gonna kill Americans uh, and kill our economy.
2: You know, we were discussing China previously and I've talked about China many times on the show. Uh, Gordon Chan is a friend of mine. We had General Spaulding on uh, and If people understood one tenth of what you and I know about China, we would be hawks and you are a Chinese hawk. Um, You dub uh, that skinny thing with China's seven deadly sins. Explain the seven deadly sins as you see it coming from China.
1: Yeah, that that was uh, an expression as, as I relate in the in Trump time book. I'm on the uh, Chris Wallace show, the Sunday show. <laughs> uh, he's always, always kind of a gnarly kind of dude, right? When it comes to Trump people, and and he goes, uh, "What what's uh what, what do you what what's your complaint about China?" And and it's Sunday, right? So it's like, yeah, the seven deadly sins, and I go like force technology transfer. Uh, it's intellectual property theft, the dumping, the state-owned enterprises, the currency manipulation, killing us with fentanyl. Um, and that that basically continues to this day. Um, the tariffs that President Trump slapped on China were designed to defend us against at least some of those seven deadly sins. Uh, but the bigger problem we have here, really, is this virus that was... Bought in the Wuhan lab. Um, it's it, that lab is a bioweapons lab. Uh, it, it, you can't even make this up. The fact that Tony Fauci, the god uh, of the pandemic, uh, who's supposed to deliver us from pandemic evil, was actually had a hand in funding the uh, the research and technology that led to the creation of the pandemic. I mean, it's like you can try to sell that. To hollywood they say nah that that plot doesn't work yet that's what happened in reality and and um we really we really need to get uh, get to the bottom of that and we need to get fauci out of there um one of the one of the, the whole strategy uh, of the democrats fauci cnn zucker those people was to um blame the president for the pandemic and that it was like a zero-sum game if you (laughs) did that you couldn't possibly assign any blame to China right (laughs) Right. and so China got a free pass the whole time it's like well I'm I'm thinking to myself yeah I I know how evil these people are I mean they're just the Chinese communists are evil I mean these guys they want to kill us let's be clear about that yes um and yet I'm watching it's like like CNN and Zucker they're they're like "Oh, oh don't don't say anything bad about china's races that's like are you out of your friggin mind <laughs> dude it's like they're trying to kill us earth, earth to zucker earth to john berman on new day come on guys oh, um anyway you, you get my drift. but hey um, if you don't like like reading books you prefer listening this is a cool rendition um uh, of of a book in trump time it's not because i narrated it which i did but i i had what i call a little help from my friends i actually had um people who appear in the book r- read their own parts right so i got steve bannon in it i got victor davis hansen um Corey lewandowski i think it's fair to say he steals the show with an extended <laughs> riff when he's on air force one the day before the election um, talking about how Boss- he and Dave Bossy are on um, reading the riot act to um, some of the guys on the Trump campaign for not being ready for what's going to happen the next day um, so anyway that's uh, <laughs> uh, <unless> I digress
2: <laughs> <laughs> well you know AJ-, AJ sent me an email just before coming on air telling me I can only have you for up to 15 minutes but I'm watching the clock and you're going past it so you let me know if you've got a bug out
1: well uh interestingly enough um uh, i got a bug out in two minutes uh <laughs> so take your best shot take your chris wallace shot at me uh, <laughs> maybe with a chris wallace question I'm, I'm, I'm tomorrow, sorry. when did you know that mr trump was a wife beater and why do you serve in his administration <laughs> 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 No, well, from, from what I got into. Go book, Brandon there, Chris. Go, go Brandon, Chris. You know what I saying? Uh, let's go Brandon. <laughs> um, and yeah. I got to tell you, though, because I, I love
2: interviewing authors because I can tell from when you talk to them and when you read the book. If you actually wrote the book and I'm gonna tell you 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 wrote this book, that is for sure. And I'm gonna sit down and finish it and have you come back on so we can talk more about it. Hey, Um, hey, I'm
1: a blue collar guy
2: and I can't afford
1: a ghostwriter. Those guys are are expensive, you know. Those Fox guys (laughs) can do that, but not me. Oh man (laughs) I wrote every word. They promised uh, me a penny a word that the publisher. And then and then I gave them uh, like like a, a million word book and they cut it back to two hundred thousand so well,
2: uh, yeah. you 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 cover the whole entire gambit from what I've read just so far in the first few chapters even about uh, uh, yeah. uh, our, our businesses investing in China and I've been screaming about that that should have never been open to Wall Street for trading china companies we should never uh, ever have had our uh, Retirement investments with investments from China. I We have done so many stupid things, ignoring the fact that China is an enemy and wants us dead. And you discuss this in the book. The book is In Trump Time, a journal for America's plague here. You can get it on audio, you can get it on Kindle, and you can get a hard copy. Peter, I've got to have you back soon.
1: Anytime, man. You take care of yourself.
2: Three paisanos, we say. Hey, take care,
1: Peter. (laughs) Thank you. Bye bye.
2: Take care. Go Trump.
3: Let's go, Brandon.
2: (laughs) Oh man, no, I. I got to tell you, (laughs) we had a sign waving uh, because we had two referendums here in our county that we were fighting. And we were standing on the corner with our signs and we're screaming out, "Let's go, Brandon!" And car horns were honking at us. But Vito, I got to tell you, we defeated these referendums seventy-two uh, to seventy-two percent uh, uh, to twenty-eight. We killed it. The other one, we killed it by seventy-nine percent of the votes. We increased the number of people voting on a off-year election, which normally is between eight and ten percent here locally we had 14% show up at the polls and resoundly defeat these two things the power it's of great. the public and uh, i'm going to all
3: across the all across the country yes it was like that
2: yes i mean there's so much more oh. i wanted to talk uh, with peter but like i said he had to oh. run so um i i, I dialed, aj sent me the only only 12 to 15 minutes max 15 minutes max so i
3: don't want to piss well, h right off <laughs> no 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 you have to you have to comply with that it, it, and you know he's he is a really really interesting uh um interview i mean he he know, like you said he wrote the book so he knows you know line verse by verse and he quotes it verse by verse and it's just it's it's a pleasure to talk to the guy i mean, I mean he just He's just a wealth of knowledge. Love the guy, absolutely love the man.
2: And he's, he's, he's down to earth, he's real. And that's the whole uh-huh. thing. He doesn't mind talking to anyone and everyone. And that's, you know, and everyone I interview that knows Donald Trump says the same thing about him. He will sit down and listen to you and ask you questions. And, and that's the fun part that he's willing to get to know you. And Peter Navarro is very similar to that. And we're waiting in about another five minutes or three minutes, Hans von Spakovsky, I love saying his name, uh, will be joining us because he also has a new book out To I mean, I I don't know what it is. Authors are tossing their books on my front porch at seven in the evening. And I'm serious, that's literally how I got his book. It got tossed on my front porch. and i said oh man <laughs> oh man <laughs> so i i mean I'm, I'm sitting here with hans and i wasn't able to read a single word because i was reading peter navarro's book and uh, uh, uh professor mead's book uh so <laughs> i'm like i'm reading three books at a time <laughs> like, someone please give me i can't well, even do the sudoku well, anymore. I'm <laughs>
3: I'm going to Amazon and I'm going to buy uh, Peter's book because I've been reading some i last night I, I read some of his book uh, on the, online and um, which is kind of cool it kind of gives you a flavor and he actually stated exactly what was in the book and so the the biggest thing that I, I was I would have loved to ask him was he he puts in an exchange between he and Fauci and um, Fauci says, I've studied travel restrictions many, many times and travel restrictions don't work. And so Navarro comes back and says, you need to tell me if China is sending us over 20,000 passengers a day into airports like Kennedy, O'Hare, LAX, some of whom have escaped the ground zero of Wuhan, then there's no risk to, uh, that some of the passengers will seed and spread the virus. And Fauci says, in my experience, travel restrictions don't work. And so Peter asked the question again, and Fauci comes back like a little parrot. Um, in my experience, travel restrictions don't work. And he flat out lied. Excellent. He flat out lied. He lied to Rand Paul and he lied to Navarro right to his face. with a pointed practical question.
2: Well, we've got our final victim up in the bullpen. I want to welcome back to the show Hans Von Spakovsky of the Heritage Foundation. How are you doing today?
1: Uh,
8: I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me back.
2: Well, we just had Peter Navarro on and and we're still hysterical because we love talking to him. He's always so much fun. I mean, it's been a a nonstop today. And I got to tell you, it it was your book that got tossed on my front porch at seven o'clock in the evening. So I haven't had a chance to open it. I I took it out of the plastic. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to have to have you back so we can talk about it. But your book, Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote, And um, in today's uh, reports, we're coming across with other massive fraud with the 2020 election, and it's still nonstop. Um, The latest one was ballots in Colorado. uh, And they're finding massive problems in the Mesa County uh, area, but of course, all of Colorado. And now we're finding in the election that just happened the other day, Uh, Suddenly, this whole big, what is it, 300,000? I don't forget what the number is. In New Jersey, just suddenly showed up days after the election for governor. What is going on out there?
8: Well, you know, New Jersey is infamous for that years after, for for, for many years. Uh, New Jersey has this long history of certain democratically controlled counties holding back their vote until the count has come in from the rest of the country so that I mean the rest of the state. So they can then see, well, how many votes are needed for (laughs) the candidates to win? And uh, that's, like I said, New Jersey has a long, long history of this. Um, There are very many uh, infamous stories about it uh, uh, going back a long, long time.
2: Well, you know, people are really, are concerned about vote integrity. And I gotta tell you, My mom, she lived in the Virgin Islands, so consequently, they really didn't vote. And she said the last time she remembers voting was like 1995. Uh, Gee, mom. And she had a stroke, so I had to go get her. She now lives with me. I made sure she registered to vote. And this last Tuesday was the first time she voted since 1995. And she's going, well, what happened to the old machines where you pulled the lever, the curtains closed, you hit the switches. You made sure the switches went down with what you wanted. You pulled the lever back out, the curtain opened, you voted. But now we have these complicated machines that are just so easy to manipulate. So, what do we do about that?
8: Well, I hate to tell you this, but those lever machines were even easier to manipulate. They were extremely easy. In fact, um uh, in addition to, to, you know, New York and New Jersey just love the, the, the big lever machines. Um, Louisiana used to use them too, and they finally got rid of them when a very well known, longtime senator, state senator there, wheeled a lever machine out onto the floor of the Senate. And with a crowd of reporters around and other legislators, proceeded to show them how easy it was to change the votes on a lever machine. I won't go into the story of how he did it but all it uh, all it took him to do it was uh his pocket knife a lighter and a q-tip <laughs> and with that he was able to change the counters on the lever machine yeah um so don't think that lever machines somehow were a good thing they had no audit trail they were easy to manipulate uh the problem isn't voting machines the, the problem is bad voter registration rules uh, no ID requirement um, this push to absentee or mail-in ballots which are a recipe uh, a recipe or, or an invitation to fraud uh, there have been many absentee ballot fraud cases in New Jersey uh, just just think last year, Patterson, New Jersey they decided to have an all-mail election because of uh, COVID-19 and uh All of a sudden, they found all these absentee ballots, hundreds of them, deposited in mailboxes outside of Patterson, the city of Patterson. And that led to an investigation. It it led to the criminal indictment of four locals, uh, including, I think, a member of the city council. And it led to the overturning of a city council election because of widespread absentee ballot fraud.
2: Well, you know, people are starting to look at the voter rolls, and we're finding that some people are, hundreds of people are registered to one address or to one phone number. Um, there are steps that we can do to help prevent this fraud, and I know here in in South Carolina, our my county uh, GOP put together an integrity committee, and believe it or not, it's been it's being led by a Chinese immigrant and she is so fiercely patriotic. Unbelievable. She, she wants, doesn't want to see the United States fall. And she put together a whole big PowerPoint thing on what is wrong with voting here in South Carolina. Now, after the last election, we went to pre-pandemic uh, procedures and that's what we did this last election. It was like pre-pandemic as the way you were voting. Uh, they then took that PowerPoint up to our state legislature and they said, well, you've got these laws on the book you're looking to pass. This is the problem with the laws. Your book, which I'm hoping to read very shortly, do you address these issues about, you know, what is wrong with the laws in each state and how they can turn around and correct them?
8: Uh, our final chat we didn't just want to write a book identifying the problems we wanted to uh, write a book that also said well here's how we fix it so the final chapter of the book is a whole series of our recommendations uh for state legislators on how and, and county election officials on how they can remedy and fix the vulnerabilities and the the problems in the system so yeah there, there's a whole list in there of things to do and like I, I give me just one quick example uh, if i may because you were talking about them finding hundreds of people registered at one address if election officials county election officials just did their job you don't even need legislation to do this that wouldn't happen and then you wouldn't be trying to chase after an election whether all these fraudulent ballots were cast. Let me tell you what I mean. When a voter registration form comes in, um, what what is the, within the county government, what is is the county government's number one priority? It's collecting property taxes, right? Mm -hmm. That's how they fund everything. What that means is that the county tax department, they know every piece of property in a county, they know, whether it's a residential property they know whether it's a commercial or industrial property they know what's on it they know whether it's a vacant lot or a single family home or an apartment because the tax rates differ well what election officials should be doing but aren't is when a voter registration form comes in the election officials should go to the county tax department and say uh this this address this person says where he lives well what is it and if the county tax department comes back and says, well, that's not a resident. That's, that's a commercial property. Then the election officials should not accept and register that person. They need to investigate it. And if the, um, if the county tax department comes back and says, well, yeah, it's a, it's a residential property. Uh, it's a single family home. Then the election officials should ask the county, uh, should, should check their voter registration list and see, well, how many people are already registered at that single family home? Mm -hmm. And if the list comes back and says, oh, well, there's 100 people already registered at that single family home, uh, (laughs) well, that would be another indication of, of potential fraud and they should investigate not only that new registration but the 100 other registrations at that single family home. This is simple, this is easy. It doesn't take state law to do that why aren't county election officials doing that
2: well here's another Uh, problem another problem about people that move and suddenly now they're registered to vote in two different locations and somehow or other someone votes from that other location using that person's name that moved out so we were finding a lot of that in some of our roles or the deceased uh a friend of mine she went through the entire voter registration uh, list for our County and the shocking number, I think it was something close to 300 people were still registered to vote and several of them show as being actively voting, but they're dead. There are many ways in which to clean up the voter rolls too.
8: Yeah. And again, there's no reason for that to be happening. Cause what that means is the county election officials aren't doing the two things they should be doing. One is, every single month checking with the uh, South Carolina State Department of Vital Records. That's the department in every state government that keeps track of people who have died in the state. They should be checking that every month to find uh, voters who have died so they take them off the list. But second, the, the state vital records department isn't going to have the, the uh, records on individuals who have Who've li- who lived in South Carolina, registered to vote there, but moved to another state and then died. They also need to be checking with what? The Social Security Administration. Social Security Administration has a master death index. They keep track of everyone's Social Security number who dies, and they ought to be checking with that to find folks who have died in other states, but are who still registered um, in, in South Carolina. Again, that's simple, it's easy, it doesn't take legislation. That's just the county election official needs to be doing that. And if they're not doing it, they're, they are not carrying out their duties.
2: Well, I'll tell you one thing, Social Security Administration is pretty much on top of everything. And I, I'll tell you quite honestly, this is a little bit off topic. Uh, when my husband passed away on June 30th, had he lived exactly two hours and 47 minutes, I would have received his Social Security check for the month of June, but he died just two hours and 46 minutes before the clock struck midnight. So the Social Security Administration was on top of that because the next day his check should have been in the bank because it's direct deposit always on the first of the month. But gee, within two hours and 47 minutes, they knew not to send that check over. So social Security Well, that is that is
8: amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. But by the way, listen. You you also mentioned folks who have moved away but remain registered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, th- that's an easy. That's a relatively easy fix. And what's the easy fix? Well, the easy fix is that yeah, when people move to a new location and and register to vote again, particularly in a, in a different state, I mean, they don't always tell election officials where they're newly registering. Oh, well, I used to be registered in South Carolina so that election officials can send notice back to South Carolina that this person has now moved to another state. But you know what just about everybody does do when they move to a new state, what do they do? They get a new driver's license, right? They turn in their driver's license from their old state and they get a new driver's license in their new state. Um, And driver's license bureaus in every state are very good about sending notice back to the former state. Hey, this person is now in our state. They've got a a new driver's license here. You need to cancel the old driver's license. Well, our county election officials in South Carolina checking regularly every single month with the state department of, of, of motor vehicles. Are they checking driver's licenses to find people who have moved either within uh, the state of south carolina or have moved out and have notified dmv about that if they're not doing that again they're not doing something that's very simple very easy and 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 doesn't need legislation giving them the ability to do it
2: no it doesn't by the way all
8: of these things all of these things we're talking about they're in the final chapter of <laughs> our book
2: well you know a lot of people uh, don't understand until recently exactly what vote harvesting is And uh, just before uh, 2016, uh, we were having our county GOP meeting and they were talking about voter integrity, what we could do to poll watching, blah, 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 blah. And um, I said, well, what about trying to stop vote harvesting? Uh, Because at one point I was getting calls from members of my Tea Party saying uh, people were going up to uh, nursing homes and ballot harvesting when half the people in there had some sort of a dimension where they didn't even know what they were doing. And yet they were, may have been in a coma, but there was strangely a ballot that left that, that nursing home. So ballot harvesting is another big problem we have here.
8: Oh yeah, and that's a problem everywhere, particularly the, the well, I don't call it ballot harvesting because harvesting has this really you know nice name, you know, har- harvesting crops, it's ballot trafficking, just like drug trafficking. That's what it really is. I like but, that. Yeah, but that's but yeah, but that's particularly a problem um, with the elderly and folks um, uh, who are disabled and in nursing homes and assisted living centers. Um, there's been case after case after case of folks caught uh, in those who, who work in those homes um, registering and then. uh, requesting absentee ballots and basically voting on behalf of folks who don't know it's happening uh their 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 signatures get forged um and that's a real problem uh with people taking advantage of the folks in those kind of facilities
2: well i gotta tell you when i took my mom to vote we did the curbside because she is paralyzed on one side and she never understood how to use these machines she's like i said she's accustomed to the old lever ones so when the two poll watchers came out with the machine, um, I, I, they asked me to explain to my mother how to use the machine. I had to be so very careful so that they heard that I was not influencing her how to vote, only instructing her on what to right. do and how to make her, her selection. But that's another problem, where you, you have people who don't know how to use these new machines. They and they're not accustomed to the new technology, and a lot of times you're finding it's like hey can you help me can you punch this for me and they have no idea whether or not they're punching the correct buttons
8: well yeah that's the problem but that's that's why that's one of the reasons why people are allowed to have uh, folks like you helping them they're allowed to have voting assistance that's in fact guaranteed under federal law and look election officials need to be prepared to help instruct people on how to use uh, any kind of new voting equipment. I mean, look, the easiest, the easiest, most easily understandable way for people to vote is through what they call op- the scan ballots, right? Those are those are paper ballots. They're just like an SAT test. You know, you simply uh, fill in the bubble next to the name of the person that you want to vote for. And that, of course, is the easiest, most straightforward way. For people to vote because it's not very difficult to understand how to do
2: that well for us we've got a two-part system they instituted uh at in the last election cycle where you go to the machine you punch all the buttons exactly what you want a paper ballot spits out you look at the ballot the paper ballot and make sure it's all the correct right. choices if not you get the poll worker over there and say, this there's a problem with this machine this came out wrong And that way they can remove the machine and have you vote on a different one, making sure your ballot came out and then you feed it into the scanner. So you've got the vote registered on the electronic machine, but you've got a paper ballot to physically make sure they can. And I was shocked because we had turned around and had a conference. South Carolina GOP had the first in the South Action Conference uh, last weekend. And one of the issues that we were bringing up is an audit. Well, we didn't know that here in South Carolina, they are already randomly auditing each and every county to make sure the paper ballot and the machine ballots match. And so far, they found no problem because of the system we instituted. I I had no idea that we automatically were doing the audits, but that's what we need states to do, automatically do the audits after every election.
8: Well, I'm glad they're doing that, but keep in mind that an audit like that, which only checks one thing, which is, are the machines correctly counting the ballots. Well, yeah, all that tells you is that the machines are, are working correctly. That doesn't tell you whether the person who was voting was actually the person they claimed to be or is actually eligible to vote. I mean, the best, the best, uh, the best way to explain this is, uh, look, if I owe you $1,000, and I hand you a stack of $100 bills, and I say, look, that's $1,000, and you count it and you say, yep, yep, it's $1,000. Well, you've counted and I have given you $100, so that's correct. But simply counting the $100 bills does not tell you whether any of those bills are actually counterfeit bills. So if you're gonna do audit, the, the audit should not only check the voting equipment to make sure it's properly counting ballots, but you also need to be, for example, checking the voter registration list, and take checking the names of every single person who voted and cast a ballot in the election, and checking to make sure they're not dead, wow. they haven't moved away, they actually still live there. They're they're U.S. citizens. They're not uh, aliens who have illegally registered. All those things need to be checked. That's that's the kind of full forensic audit that needs to be done, not just checking the, the the count against what the machines did.
2: Uh, there's so many things to think about to for voter integrity. And it, it's, you try to get your head around it. It's like so many different ways things can go wrong. And you've got states now, um, what is it, Wisconsin or something like that, that came up with uh, same-day voter registration and a lot of other wacky things that just leave it rife. For, for voter uh, fraud. Now I got another question for you. Now, you wrote this book with John Fund. How was it that the two of you got right. together to do this? You know, what brought this together?
8: Well, we've known each other for a very very long time, and I'm trying to remember. I, I mean, we've known each other for more than 20 years, and I think it. I, I think he was working for the Wall Street Journal. I think the first time I, I got interviewed by the Journal on an election issue. And um, through that, we kind of got to know each other. We became friends. We actually started writing uh, 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 op-eds and things like that together. And then, you know, the, the, we've now written three, book, three books together. Our first one was back in 2012. It was called, Who's Counting? How Fraudsters and Bureaucrats Put Your Vote at Risk. And that, that book was about election fraud and how it really does uh, happen in American elections. And it also had recommendations on how to uh, deter and stop that. Um, the, the, our latest book, Our Broken Election, which actually came out Tuesday, um, it's that's kind of an update to the 2012 book, but it goes a lot further in talking about what happened last year and all the changes in election rules that folks on the political left are trying to to get in, they've done it successfully in some places and why those changes are bad and threaten the integrity of the election process. And like that, the final chapter is on uh, recommended solutions and what we think is the best way for states to conduct elections.
2: Yeah, well, now we actually have the federal government trying to federalize all of elections. Yes. That is is gonna be a nightmare. Since when is it allowable for Congress to rewrite the Constitution without actually creating an amendment. It, this is the wackiest government I have ever seen in all of my life. And you see it time after time after time violating the Constitution, whether it's not with a vaccine mandate, uh, uh, violating the, your right of privacy, uh, and now election taking the election away from the states. Where Where are they gonna stop?
8: How, where are they going to stop here? Well, liberals are not. Because remember, liberals have a very dismissive attitude towards the Constitution. Uh, they don't... Uh, the only time they think about the Constitution is when they can think of a way to either ignore it or twist its language. I mean, look, don't, don't forget, remember the, remember the famous incident when they were passing Obamacare and uh, a reporter asked Nancy Pelosi whether... Obamacare was actually constitutional. And she looked at him and said, constitutional? I mean, the thought had never even occurred to her that she should consider whether Congress even had the power to um, pass these laws. I mean, the the bills that you're talking about, the the attempted federal takeover of the election process, look, the Democrats have been pushing one bill after another. The latest one they just tried to get through was, was just successfully filibustered by the Republicans this week. Um, thank goodness it got stopped. But they don't care about the fact that major portions of that bill are unconstitutional. I mean, their belief is, hey, if we can pass it through Congress and we can get a president to sign it, it becomes law. Well, then it's going to be up to folks who claim it's unconstitutional to go to the expense and the trouble of suing and going to court and you know maybe they'll be successful down the road in convincing a a good set of federal judges that it's unconstitutional but they don't they don't care about that that they to them the
2: end justifies
8: the mean and they don't care whether what they want to do violates the constitution
2: well you know i got to say one thing god bless texas because this last election they passed 10 different things uh to amend their constitution matter of fact i didn't realize texas has the longest constitution but one of the things was to demand that the judges that are are are, are gain office must practice law for at least 10 years or have been a judge for 10 years (laughs) so you think you would think they would have judges that actually Do the law well now they're going to have judges that
8: actually know the law we need more of that don't we uh we do Uh, one of the biggest problems we have in this country these days is we have unfortunately too many bad judges at both the state and the federal level who also uh don't believe in the rule of law and don't believe in the constitution and again think that the end justifies the mean
2: Well, Hans, uh, it's always so much fun to have you. This has been a a powerful show today uh, between uh, you and Peter and all the other lovely people we had on. I always have fun speaking with you and I'm sorry I wasn't here uh, when the last time you were on, I was sitting in the emergency room (laughs) having a bad attack anyway. Thank you for joining us, and I look forward to reading your book and having you back on for a longer period of time so we can go completely through the book and get people to purchase it. It is called Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote, and you've got solutions in the book in the last chapter. I look forward to it, and God bless you, sir.
8: Thanks
2: for having me it's always our pleasure. Have a good day, Hans. All right, Hans von Spokoski. find him over at heritage.org. Man, I'm telling you, the only way I knew that something was happening is because I've got this one cat. Her name is Baby Puppy. And whenever a stranger comes on the property, she bails out of the room and hides underneath the covers on my bed. When I see her, this streak of white (laughs) going across and down the hall, I said, someone's here. And I just saw a flash of a figure running up I heard a thunk on the front porch and I almost turned around and reached for my gun going what the heck because I thought someone was attacking my house <laughs> attacking. and then when I realized it was Amazon uh, and it was a book on the front porch I said oh thank god <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was reading through Hans's uh, book uh, the uh, the chapters and such it was uh, it's it looks pretty cool it would have been good to ask him a few more questions concerning how the COVID pandemic has uh, influenced uh, Congress and, uh, and many states to change their election, arbitrarily change their election rules. And was it by design <laughs> that yep. they prolonged the uh, yeah
2: unconstitutional. The, the China virus? Unconstitutional yeah. change. change rules. That's why exactly. I said I've got to go through the book and get him back on for a longer period of time. I've met John Fund a number of years ago up in Myrtle Beach at the South Carolina Tea Party Coalition Convention um we're gonna see if we can try to get him on also and when i was at last weekend's conference i saw joe wilson and he had gotten a new scheduler uh so i chatted with him for a little while And the next thing you know he's shoving his card in my hand and he's writing on the new scheduler so i'll get uh joe you wilson back on and uh maybe his, uh, <laughs> his son alan wilson because alan's been doing a lot of stuff and i was talking to people in his office recently anyway that's all we got for today we'll be back next Friday. Uh, Curtis will be back. Vito, thank you. The last minute I called you on the phone last minute when Curtis says, well, I have to leave at two 30. and I'm going... All my right. pleasure. <laughs> I knew you'd come through, my Bozzano, <laughs> my deplorable... <laughs> de- hey, my adorable my deplorable,
3: deplorable radio chick. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to leave you with another Italian, Gary Pecorella, with his song, Save America. So, until then, I say good night, God bless, and have a happy Veterans Day. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.
0: I'm praying for this land I love,
1: America. America, the home of the free. But there are people making
4: Need plans up. to hey, change
1: America. They've no respect for her, who it matters most to me. Wow, usually it goes silent, doesn't it? That's why I stand for the flag. And I kneel at like the cross,
4: My for the friends I have loved. Usually it stops. And as he got the choice,
0: and look brave
4: on my fall for plans friends. Yes.
0: I hope it's
4: not too late to save America. 90
2: seconds
4: We've got to rescue her but you know it's up to me and
1: you To see the truth behind their eyes Don't change America God bless America
4: And the red, white, and blue That's why I for the her And I'm here at the cross friends I have loved, 60 seconds And I be here, and, God be chosen, and the phone mm-hmm. I will not To America Ten seconds. Stand.